Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. And after last week's marathon, we're going to go back to 10 teams. Uh, no more uh, four-plus-hour shows for us here. Um, but we're going back to 10 teams. And Xavier is Don't back with us today. We can't keep. Look, you know what? Uh, I, I'll say this. <laughs> if it is four and a half hours, uh, I'm going to be gone in about three. Just so so everybody knows. So you have to set up the teams yourself, Nick. But of course, <laughs> that is the voice of the owner and proprietor of CP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CP Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish back with us live at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And today we're going to be going uh, through teams 45 down to 36. We did have a couple of news and notes um, uh, today, obviously. I'm sure you've heard as you're listening to this, but uh, Sam Hartman is uh, out indefinitely with a non-football-related medical condition. So we hope he's okay, but we will not get to see the all-ACC QB at all this year. Uh, Florida wide receiver Ricky Persall, a transfer from Arizona State, expected to be one of the top targets for the Gators, suffered a foot injury on Tuesday and will be out indefinitely. Um, Florida State also announced that projected starting center Caden Lyles, a transfer from Wisconsin, will miss the season. And uh, today, first thing I saw when I woke up today that popped up in my feed, the Bruce Feldman's Freaks list uh, popped out. I'm probably going to be reading that as soon as we're done here. So I'm excited to get through all of that, Nick. But a couple news and notes before we dive in on these teams, obviously Hartman being the biggest of them. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we did get a little bit slightly better news um, later on that it, it looks like, or at least there's hope that Hartman will return at some point in, in 2022. Um, head coach Dave Clawson did a Q&A with uh, the media uh, on Wednesday. He said that Mitch Griffiths, uh, is currently QB1, but um, I did update our numbers for our unit uh, rankings. And, you know, with Hartman, who is a 99-rated player, almost maxed out just based on his career production and experience, um, they were number five in our QB unit rankings uh, prior to this news, and, and that was the best in the ACC. But um, after that, uh, you know, after taking him out, of the projected depth charts in our FBS team profiles, it, it dropped them down to 112th nationally and uh, dead last in the ACC. So uh, significant drop there. And of course, and you know, I tweeted this out earlier, so uh, this may be uh, not be news to some, but um, you know, I do expect Wake Forest uh, and the, the you know Clawson and the coaching staff there has a really strong track record for uh, putting together a, a, you know, really uh, potentially explosive offense, regardless of who's a quarterback or, or, you know, things like that. So I expect that Griffiths or if they turn to Michael Kern or, or what have you, um, I, I, I'm not going to say they're going to be just fine, but I, I would expect that they're probably not going to rank in the uh, mid triple digits as far as quarterback play in the country. Um, but it's still a, a really, really uh, significant blow. So as long as they're going to be without Hartman, um, you know, they're, they're definitely going to be missing him. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, the, these couple pieces of news that we have before we dive in on the team previews. Yeah, obviously Hartman is a massive miss, uh, you know, 
Um, now I will say, like like Nick alluded to, there we did get better news from the coaching staff um, on his availability coming into the year. I mean, when you look at their schedule, they do have three <clears throat> pretty winnable games, even without Hardman. Uh, they have VMI, Vanderbilt, and one other. I cannot remember off the top of my head. Uh, so they, they should be able to at least, you know, see where he is uh, coming into the Clemson game, which is week four, and that's September 27th. Uh, so they should they, they, they will have some type of idea of what they'll be able to do without Sam Hartman in those first three games. It's VMI, Wake Forest, and Liberty. So I, I think, you know, this is going to be – if he cannot go once they play – you know, once their ACC schedule starts on September 24th, excuse me, uh, that's going to be a huge miss. But I, if, they can, if they just have to wait the first couple of games without him, I still think that they can go ahead and start off the year uh, 3-0. and So I think they'll be fine there as long as he can get back. Most importantly, it's about, you know, having life health, not just playing the game of football. So hopefully he's able to get ready, um, you know, and just get back healthy in general. Uh, Ricky Persall is going to be a, a, a huge miss uh, for Arizona State. Uh, I, I He was somebody who I was expecting. For Florida. Um, Oh, sorry, for Florida, a recent Arizona State transfer. Thank you. Uh, I thought he was a guy that was going to really be a part of the reason as to why uh, Anthony Richardson took that next step this year, uh, that he was just going to have way more uh, talent on the outside than he's had at this time there at Florida. Um, and obviously he was replacing kind of the you know the, the footsteps of uh, Jacob Copeland, who uh, who left and went to, to, to Maryland. So I thought he was going to have an opportunity to go crazy uh, at Florida, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and some of the things that you saw in the spring game uh, with Anthony Richardson, I thought he was going to be able to benefit from uh, the most. So. Yeah, yeah. T- some tough news, and that's kind of what we get this time of year is more tough news than fun news uh, in terms of college football because they don't have to report stuff to us. So it's mainly uh, it's mainly injuries and things like that. But we did get the freaks list, which is uh, always a lot of fun, but let's dive in on these teams. We start at number 45 here, Arizona state, the sun devils rose to number 18 in the AP poll during a five and one start, but a lackluster second half and a 20 to 13 loss to Wisconsin and Las Vegas bowl Men an eight and five final record heading into a tumultuous off season. DK has got their win total at six. We have them at seven and five. So we're officially over the six win total. And Nick, you know, unfortunately, with Arizona State, the discussion surrounding them has been all of the off-field stuff, all of the, you know, uh, improprieties or alleged improprieties, I guess you should say, about ASU. That's something that our projections don't really take into account. How, how would it, if you were to, you know, I guess, put in something that would take into account weirdness in the offseason, how much do you think that should affect this team? It's difficult to put a number on it. And that's partly why we don't. And, you know, you, you mentioned our, uh, our record. That's just purely a final record projection, just based on, as we've said, you know, plenty of times before, but this is, if, if this is your first time with us, uh, we do projected point spreads for every game, convert those to a projected uh, win percentage, add them up. Um, you know, each game is between zero and one. Uh, wins. So, you know, Arizona State has a 98% chance of beating FCS Northern Arizona in week one. So we would give them 0.98 wins, go through, you know, the rest of the 12, we get to 7.05. So, um, you know, to, to actually put a number on it, if, if I were to do so, I guess I could, you know, throw in uh, kind of a gut feel 
rating or something. Uh, and, and I might be tempted to put 5% uh, of, of the team's, you know, thing on gut feel. Uh, if I were to do that, you know, obviously Arizona state would not rank particularly high. And, and so their, their projection would probably come down a little bit, but I still quite honestly think that there's a chance you know, that, that they get to six or, or maybe even seven wins. I, I feel like um, certainly things could go south in a hurry. And, you know, all it takes is uh, a, a team to quit on its coaching staff. And, and you know, if that were to happen in week two or week three, um, this is a team that, you know, could be three and nine, something like that. That That's not a... Um, Super crazy thing. I mean, we've, we've seen some teams just absolutely crater when they've got off-field issues. Um, but it doesn't always have to happen that way. And Arizona State, though depth has certainly taken a you know big-time hit, uh, according to our FBS team profiles. Um, you know, I, I've got 29 – or excuse me, 25 players um, who have left – the roster voluntarily, or, or I guess we're asked to leave in some cases, uh, but we're talking transfers, guys who are no longer on the roster. Uh, you put that into, uh, you know, add that to the 17 players who um, either ran out of eligibility or, or were drafted. Um, guys like Rashad White, who, you know, they're definitely going to miss third round draft pick, uh, big time playmaker, a couple of, you know, defensive backs. Um, three total starters on the the defense last year were drafted. So um, they're losing talented players uh, for multiple reasons, and and that's really uh, hit the depth pretty hard. But they've also added some transfers, going to be counting on uh, some guys. You know, quarterback, Emory Jones looks like the likely starter. Paul Tyson transferred from Alabama um, to join Jones, who transferred in later from Florida. Um, Those guys rate you know, decently well. Jones was uh, nearly a five-star recruit. So he comes in with a rating in the 90s, low 90s. Um, but they added, you know, Xavion Valaday, highly productive running back from Wyoming. Um, they added guys like Cam Johnson and Messiah Swinson to that receiving core. Looks like maybe three projected starters on the offensive line are going to be transfers. Um, they got pretty creative there, you know, added a, a Really experienced starter from San Diego State, so somebody from the Group of Five level. Also added, uh, who now currently looks like the projected uh, starting left tackle, Emmett Bowl, um, is a transfer from Division Two, Northern State. So um, they were creative, went to the Power Five level uh, for some uh, players, went to the Group of Five level for several others, and even you know the lower divisions at times to try to plug what holes they, um, you know, that were created from these departures. And and so there are guys like uh, Merlin Robertson, 100-rated linebackers in his sixth year, I believe, at least fifth, uh, fifth year probably, um, who has played a lot of football, really talented player. Nesta Jade Silvera uh, is a 100-rated transfer from Miami. Uh, Corey Bethley, incredibly productive uh, defensive back the last couple of years at Hawaii. So it, it's kind of hard to predict one, how everything that's going on outside of uh, the football field, how that's going to impact what you know happens 
uh, once that whistle is blown and, and the game start. Uh, but they've got, you know, a, a decent collection of talent. It's just a lot of it is, is you know, mixing uh, a lot of new you know, people, a lot of new players uh, with it as well, which is always a little bit of a concern. Just a, a lot of turnover, not a whole lot of depth. The the margin for error is you know pretty thin, um, even in a lot of the games that we've got Arizona State projected uh, as a favorite. But we've also seen some teams that that hit some uh, adversity off field things that kind of rally around one another and, and kind of take an us versus the world mentality. And on occasion, it's probably relatively rare, but uh, anecdotally, you know, sometimes it, it can happen to, to sort of rally a team and, and get them to uh, perform, you know, as well or, or better than expectations. So I think Arizona state has a really, really wide range of potential outcomes. Like I said, you know, if everything just craters, nine losses, certainly possible. Um, but if they win some coin flips and, you know, some transfers pay off and they don't get um, a major rash of injuries that uh, hurts the depth even more, Arizona State could potentially upset some of the, you know, higher ranked teams in the Pac-12, get back to a bowl and, and a winning record. I, I think it's, it's definitely possible, but I'm not necessarily um, – super optimistic in our seven win projection. Xavier, what are your thoughts about Arizona state? Are you, um, are you optimistic? Do you think that this is going to be r- a rough year for them? Cause to me, it just seems like it's going to be a struggle bus all year long. I can't see where this doesn't just end up being a dumpster fire. Like I just, you know, I, I agree with Nick. Now let me, let me start off with the positives. You can absolutely rally around a situation as players. You can see and understand. You, I mean, you, you know, these kids have social media. They have everything you know that we have to, to look at what's going on at their own university. So they can they can they can see what's going on, and that might be something that helps them. You know, rally together as a team, and they end up playing better because of it. Yes, that tip that happens, but I'm not so sure that's going to happen this time. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, not only that, but the talent that they brought in versus the talent that they lost. Doesn't feel like the same. Now they did bring in ample talent. Nick, you know, Nick went through pretty much pretty much everybody that they brought in that's going to make an impact. Um, and maybe that helps in the slightest. You know, bring in some fresh blood. I guess uh, you know brings in a little bit of added you know thought process to everything that's going on. They don't. They weren't there for all of this, so they're not necessarily you know trying to do anything but help out a university and obviously help themselves as you know hopefully future draftees. You know, but I just feel like ultimately. When all of this come continues to come to an head, you know, because we're not done yet with this school. That's the other piece of this. It's like this has just begun to an extent. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think this is done in the slightest. And there's going to be more that comes down the line. So I'm not even certain that the kids that are currently a part of the team won't have some, you know, won't be affected by what has you know been done by the uh, the former, excuse me, uh, regime there. So with all that being said, I don't think this team goes over their win total. I just cannot see this team putting it all together for the year. Uh, famously, we talked about when Emory Jones went to Arizona State. I, I think Nick and I talked about, you know, maybe Emory, you know, taking this next step out there. I don't see it. Um, I, I didn't see it in the spring. I don't think he's going to take that next step. But I think he would have to for Arizona State to genuinely be a, a team that, that could compete next year in, in the Pac-12. On top of that, I just feel like their schedule is rather daunting. They get Utah, USC, and Washington back to back to back. 
their non-conference. They get Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, then they get, you know, they, they do get, uh, I guess you could say, uh, a pause there with Stanford, Colorado and company. But right after that, you get UCLA, uh, a, a Oregon State team that, you know, me and Nick have both talked about being pretty high on coming into this year as, as feeling that they will at least be better than what they have been in previous seasons. And, and on top of so outside of that, you really are starting to pull straws for wins. You know, you expect them to beat Northern Arizona, Eastern Michigan, uh, Colorado, Washington State, and Arizona. That would only give them five wins. Uh, so I'm only going to say that they go under. Uh, now, granted, once again, if some of these transfers hit the ground running, your Cam Johnsons, your Emory Joneses, and they can, you know, your, your Nesta J. Soberas, and they can add to what was a talented bunch last year that I think kind of underwhelmed, uh, maybe due to everything that was going on, maybe just due to what they weren't able to do on the field, then obviously I'm going to be eating my words. I just don't think that happens this year, and I think they fall short of a bowl game um, and end up with a 5-7 and seven record. All right, let's go over to uh, the next team, number 44, UTSA. UTSA, undoubtedly the best season in program history. They captured the Conference USA title by beating uh, WKU a second time. Only a 45-23 to 23 upset loss to North Texas kept them from an undefeated regular season. Uh, DK's got their win total at 8.5 for this season. We have them at 8-4, and four, so we're officially under that 8.5. Nick, the Roadrunners welcome back a large percentage of last year's championship roster, but they got to replace some uh, NFL talent here. So, uh, Sincere McCormick, Spencer Burford, Tariq Woolen, all gone to the NFL. Should they be the favorite to uh, repeat in Conference USA? It is still Conference USA, right? They're going to AAC next year, correct? <laughs> correct, yeah, okay. last year in, in Conference USA. Um, uh, right now, I, I think... So I think they probably uh, should be the favorite. And, you know, you mentioned a, a pretty large percentage. They actually rank 25th in overall returning production, 11th on the offensive side of the ball, which, uh, you know, might not make a whole lot of sense to uh, some folks when you think of the level of rushing production that uh, Cicero McCormack had. I mean, you know, nearly a 1,500-yard rusher, 15 touchdowns. Um, but offensively, you know, for the most part, he and Spencer Buford, uh, starting left tackle, another big loss, but you know, just, just the two of them for the most part, uh, are the only ones gone and, and rushing, uh, production only counts 6% in our returning production projections. That's, uh, you know, someone smarter than me put together these percentages, um, to, to try to do the best to, uh, show, you know, what correlates with actual um, uh, improvement or not as far as uh, experience returning. And offensive line staffs are, are 28%, a, a much bigger uh, percentage. But on the offensive line, you know, only one uh, starter leaving is, you know, you, you kind of divide that uh, among the five. So not too bad when all four, or excuse me, the other four, uh, starters all return, plus the most likely uh, player to slot in to that left tackle spot, played 250 snaps himself last year. So um, I think they definitely are, are, you know, offensively in a pretty good spot because Frank Harris is back uh, for his super senior season. All-Conference USA performer last year can uh, beat you in a variety of ways. He's got a deep receiving core to work with, including a fellow all-conference performer, uh, Zachary Franklin, Joshua Cephas, and DeCorian Clark. Uh, pretty solid, maybe the best trio of receivers in, in Conference USA. Um, 
you know, at least the way we calculate our unit rankings, they, they certainly do have the best group of uh, pass catchers in the conference. And their offensive line still ranks uh, as the best in Conference USA, the way we calculate things. So offensively, they're in a really, really good spot. Defensively, a little bit more to replace. They rank 68th in returning production on the defensive side of the ball, and the um, you know the the quote unquote starter uh, impact is felt most in, in terms of the the lost starters up front on the defensive line. Um, but they return four players who played over uh, 300 snaps and added, or, or you know, have two others who played 190 or more. So um, they've always played a lot of defensive linemen um, and they've gotten a lot of experience. Uh, guys like Tremaine Bell, you know, really productive uh, season last year. So he's going to get to step into a bigger role. Um, they've recruited, you know, well up front, brought in a lot of transfers last year, um, which helped soften the blow of, of the guys they're uh, missing. And, and, you know, they did, uh, like I mentioned, lose another drafted player in the secondary, Tariq Woolen, fifth-round pick, but bring back Rashad Wisdom, who's an all-conference performer, uh, and the back seven as a whole is is you know experienced and, and solid. Guys like Jamal Ligon, linebacker, has been incredibly productive, uh, tackling machine his first two years. Um, Dadrian Taylor wasn't even you know, technically a starter. Uh, but really productive last year. Corey Mayfield at corner coming back for his last season. And they sprinkle in a few potential impact transfers as well. Nick Troy Fortune was a starter at West Virginia at corner, started 19 games there. So he has an opportunity uh, to play a pretty big role. And then, of course, you know, all-name team Pig Cage transferred in from LSU. So uh, the biggest question, I think, is how do they replace Sincere McCormack? Um, they've done some work. Uh, to, to, you know, brought in a junior college transfer, Ty Edwards, who I know there's some folks out there really excited about what he can do. He got a lot of work this spring, and he's a big running back, 6'2", 230 in that range. But they obviously didn't feel good enough about their depth there. Brought back Brendan Brady for his uh, extra year of eligibility uh, late in the spring. Early reports are he's, you know, among the first uh, in drills to, to – lead that running back group, but then they also added uh, Traylon Smith, or, or sounds like maybe he might be going by Trey Smith now, um, former transfer, uh, or excuse me, former Arkansas Razorback, transferred first to TCU, committed to TCU, uh, but then later after spring practice ended up at UTSA. So not sure if, if one of those guys will get the heavy workload that McCormick uh, got, even if not, um, you know, UTSA, could kind of evolve into maybe more of a, a pass first team. That's certainly a possibility with the, uh, you know, real talent that they've got at quarterback and, and receiver. So I think this UTSA team is going to be definitely in the mix. Um, we have them as double digit favorites in, you know, four conference games, which is kind of a lot for uh, a group of five conference. Um, two other games, they're nine-plus points. So we, we definitely project them as the best team in Conference USA, and, and they're going to go in as the favorites in 11 games, according to our projections. That includes the opener at home against Houston, which I'm personally not sure I 100% agree with. Um, but, you know, 
maybe with the exception of that road trip to Texas in week three, every, every other game is, is winnable. And even that Texas game, I mean, you know, it, it probably wouldn't shock too many um, if a, a team like UTSA were, were able to put it together and, and beat a team even as talented as Texas. So um, I, I, I believe that they certainly, uh, as we mentioned, Conference USA has gotten a little weaker with, with teams leaving for the Sun Belt. But this last year, um, even though our, our you know win total, the way we added up, like I mentioned, with Arizona State does fall just a little bit short of that eight and a half. Um, I think that this team is is the team to beat, and if they you know if they fall short of that win total, probably um, will be a disappointment. But but still, um, you know, certainly in the mix to to get back to Conference USA championship game and, and maybe even uh, go back to back. Xavier, your thoughts here on UTSA. I mean, obviously, like we mentioned before, placing a lot of talent, but Nick just rattled off some guys that can come in and step up. What do you think? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think this is going to be a team that, once again, has a chance to win Conference USA. I love the talent that they brought in. <clears throat> I think going into the P5-1, I think it's funny that a lot of the talent that they brought in are kind of like right around them. And when I mean that, I say Arkansas, LSU, TCU, LSU, uh, you know, geographically right around them so they get an opportunity to see these guys or they may even have recruited some of these guys which i think people forget oftentimes is just because they're transfers doesn't mean that they weren't recruited by these schools earlier on in their you know in their college careers which may give them a leg up when obviously going and trying to go for them as a transferee um and knowing what they can and cannot do in their own system uh, so i really like the addition of joseph evans uh, evans excuse me uh Traylon smith is another one i love quinn cage out of, out of lsu love that one as well so i think this is a team that should absolutely compete for their for, for their conference title um i think i still remember us all going into that north texas game at the end of the year last year thinking that they were just going to kind of dog walk north texas to their first you know uh undefeated regular season and obviously going in the conference uh usa championship game the other thing i will say is with, with a lot of teams and nick alluded to it with so many teams leaving to go to the sun belt i think that it's diluted the conference a little bit um well i wouldn't say a little bit a lot of it and i, I think that when you look at it that way this is going to be a team that has to play lesser talent uh, and has an opportunity to kind of just, uh, even with losing as much talent as they have, they still haven't lost enough talent for them to fall below any of the teams that they were better than last year. Um, you know, obviously the big game for me that I'm circling on the schedule is them coming off of a bye week against at, at UAB. Uh, we talked about them last episode. Um, so I, I think that, you know, this is a team that also, and Nick, I don't, I don't, I, don't, okay, I can't remember if you said this or not, but I think their first game against Houston might end like 55-53. Like genuinely speaking, that game might hit the hundreds. Uh, the, neither team plays the best of defense. I talked about this in, in, in the previous episode. Houston's defense was Houston's defense. The last, you know, and has been that for the last couple of years. Not great, but just good enough to get by uh, in, in an AAC play. Uh, and I think that this game is going to be probably one of the better games of, of that first of that first week, offensively at least. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to go beat Texas. That's I'm not going to go out on a limb like that. I do think that they'll get uh, that. That'll be a game that I would love to see what they're able to do offensively um, as it as it goes the rest of the year. You know how I love my barometer matchups. I think Houston is obviously the one that I'm circling the most with it being, uh, you know, with it also being at, at home, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, like that's a barometer matchup for me. I think Houston's going to be a team that competes in the AAC this year. So if they're able to win that game or if they compete at a high level, then obviously you've got to think that this is a team that's going to run uh, with, with the Conference USA. But 
to my Texas point, if they are able to compete with Texas, the same thing applies. If they're able to do that, I think that they that that shows more than anything that this is going to be a team that's going to be you know held to play in the in Conference USA. And I don't think it, really anybody's going to touch them outside of UAB, um, unless once again they slip up like they did last year uh, to North Texas, which. That game, I know for a fact, they've got that one on a bulletin board somewhere in that office with that score plastered everywhere uh, because they were, like we t- talked about last year, one win away from getting uh, from uh, having an undefeated uh, regular season, and I know that one pains them a little bit. And they get that game at home this year, yeah, that, that one might get ugly. Uh, but, no, I, I love what UTSA has also done. Just as a, a rec- from a recruiting standpoint, they have a top 75 class, not easy to do in a state. Uh, where pretty much you feel like all of the the the, uh, the big talent gets taken away from you. Um, heck, how many teams are there in Texas that are playing D- Division One football? You you're definitely not you know, and they're not up the pecking order. Let's put it that way. So you know, to be able to come out with a top seventy five class, to be able to get a top seventy transfer class is a really good job from Jeff Trailer and company. So I like what they're doing. I feel like they're 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 make, turning themselves into a conference USA power. And I think you know, over the next couple of years, we may just start talking about them as far as conference USA is concerned, like we talk about a Boise State with the Mountain West. All right, let's go over to the next team up here, which would be number 43, Oregon State. Oregon State was impressive early in 2021, beating USC, Washington, and Utah, but they struggled in the second half with losses to Cal, Colorado, and Utah State in the LA Bowl to finish seven and six. Six and a half is their DK win total. We've got them at seven and five, so we are over the six and a half. And Nick, the big question with Oregon State is consistency. I mean, they beat... The eventual Pac-12 champion uh, in Utah, Uh, they beat USC, Uh, they beat Washington, but then they lost three times as favorites uh, later in the season. What do they need to do in 2022 to be more consistent? And uh, I mean, can this be a solid team or are we looking at another inconsistent mess from Oregon State? It's it's a little tricky because I think the you know the biggest area for improvement uh, is defensively. Oregon State ranked 90th in defense, uh, excuse me defensive team performance overall, 97th against the pass, 68th against the run. Um, but they made a coordinator change uh, late last year and. Showed some improvement and, and uh, stuck with, um, you know, the, the new play caller full time. So we'll see, you know, how the unit will react with a full, you know, whatever changes they're going to make going over a, a full off offseason, uh, that type of thing. Um, Oregon State, you know, offensively was really solid, even when they lost Tristan Jevia, who had been the starter toward the end of 2020, uh, ended up not playing at all last season at quarterback. Chance Nolan stepped in, did a pretty good job. Right now looks like he's probably going to uh, keep it, but they got tremendous offensive line play, ranked number one in our O-line performance ratings last year, bring back uh, three full-time starters and, and another Marco Brewer who played, um, you know, 50 or excuse me, 500 plus uh, snaps last season. I've also heard some really, really good things about a rising sophomore, Talise uh, Fuaga. So, you know, those five should, you know, keep Oregon State in a um, pretty good spot as, as far as offensive line play. And, and Oregon State's had a really productive running game at time. They were 
uh, top 20 in, in rushing team performance uh, last season. Not sure who's going to take over for B.J. Baylor as that top running back, but uh, Deshaun Fenwick, uh, true freshman, Damian Martinez, getting a lot of buzz, one of the true freshmen that uh, seemed to be you know, the, the easiest path to um, early playing time. Or Trey Lowe uh, coming back, good receiver out of the backfield, former receiver actually. Um, and then they added a transfer from Georgia Tech, Jameis Griffin, who is a pretty highly um, rated recruit coming out of high school, just hasn't necessarily put it together uh, all the way on the field yet. But a pretty deep group, I would expect, similar to UTSA, you know, they're going to be fine. They, they might not be able to replace that level of production with just one player. Uh, but I would think that the group, three or four, will uh, step up and, and they'll be relatively similar uh, production output, I, I would say, from that from that group. Like I said, defensively, a little more uh, question, and it's not necessarily um, the, the least experienced unit. I mean, they are top 25 in defensive returning production coming back uh the secondary brings back four full-time starters two in the linebacker core including uh, riley sharp who's a little bit more of an edge rusher but uh one of their top productive uh returners coming from last year if you go through the sheet that has uh the different stats and, and who's returning among the leaders in in each stat category he's there in in you know several of those so have to replace some pretty talented players, a handful of guys signed as undrafted free agents on the defensive side of the ball, uh, but no, you know, uh, top draft picks uh, like, like a couple of the other teams that we'll be discussing today. So Oregon State, I, I, I feel like their outlook is very similar to how things played out last year. I mean, the six and a half win total makes a lot of sense. This is a team that I think should get back to bowl eligibility. They are a team that certainly could uh, go three and zero in non-conference play, but you know, two really tough, actually all three games are, are pretty tough. Boise state um, in week one, Fresno state, those are the top two teams in the mountain West and our projections, Montana state went to the FCS uh, championship game, uh, I believe. So uh, really tough first three, all three are winnable and we have them favored in two of the three, but from there it, it, you know, gets pretty tough. USC and Utah, even though the Pac-12 is not doing the divisions anymore, the the way the conference schedule was uh, created, those two crossovers from the South are uh, about as as, uh, tough of a draw as you could get, especially to start. USC, one of the most talented teams in the country now, how it rebuilt through the transfer portal. Utah, one of the toughest teams that, you know, we still have currently is our favorite. You mentioned that Oregon State beat Utah last year, beat USC last year. So those are certainly uh, games that, you know, the Beavs will not be intimidated necessarily. Certainly will think that they've got a shot to win, uh, but definitely two of the toughest games on their schedule. From there, though, a lot of winnable games. We've got them favored in, uh, what, four of the next five, and the uh, uh, games where they're an underdog all by right around a field goal. So um, Oregon State, if everything kind of clicks, if that offensive line continues to play like one of the best in the country, if they find their you know plug-and-play running back, 
They get good quarterback play from Nolan. The defense takes a step forward with some, uh, you know, improvement in uh, scheme and coaching, things like that, uh, after the change last year and, and sort of the way that they're able to build on that by hiring, um, you know, that new coordinator full time. I want to. Trent Bray, excuse me, was the, the uh, linebacker and special teams coordinator uh, who was promoted late last season. But uh, him taking over now full time, you know, perhaps they play closer to a top 50 uh, level on, on defense. And if they are able to do that, you know, is eight or nine wins, 10 wins out of the question? I, I don't necessarily think so. They have to take care of business, can't lose games that they absolutely are supposed to win, like the Cal and Colorado losses last year. Um, but there are a lot of winnable games on this schedule too. Certainly, you know, could lose six or seven if things go wrong. But I, I believe that uh, despite, you know, we have a, a record uh, projection of seven and five, which is just barely on that over. Um, Oregon State could put it all together and, and you know, really make some noise, eight, nine wins uh, and be a really, really tough out for some of the, um, higher ranked and, and, you know, arguably more talented Pac-12 opponents. Xavier, uh, your your thoughts here. I mean, Oregon State, wildly inconsistent. You know, th this is a team that um, you're not surprised to see them competing for the Pac-12. You're also not surprised to see them at the bottom. So which one do you have them for this year? Yeah. You know, Nick Nick kind of alluded to it. You did too, Scott. This is a boomer bust team. Like this team could very well end up five and seven or end up, you know, nine and three, ten and two. Uh man, it's gonna be tough. I, I genuinely think it's gonna be how they start. I, I think, you know, I don't like to break it down so simply sometimes, but I, I do feel that if they start fast, if they can beat Boise State at home, if they can beat Fresno, if they can beat Montana State and be 3-0 and before having to play USC and Utah in back-to-back -back games, then they can ride the wave elsewhere, right? But let's say they lose to Boise State, you know, maybe they start off 2-3 and three, um, and they trip up to one of Stanford, Washington, or Colorado. Then once now, now you're having to be perfect down the stretch to give yourself even a chance to compete in the Pac-12 at that point. Um, I think that they can, if they can, you know, you know, measure the storm against USC and then Utah, then they'll be a good team this year. They'll be a, they'll be a really good team. You know, Oregon State down the back half of last year was competitive. Uh, they were they, they were awful to play against. You know, they they were just they they gave everybody a game, literally everyone. Uh, you know, they beat Utah. They uh, you know lose a heartbreaker to Colorado in double overtime. They lose to Oregon 38-29, but that score is misleading. Oregon added on a little bit of a garbage time TD in that game. They beat Washington. They beat USC. Like this is a team that last year gave everybody fits um, in and around the the Pac-12, and you know you feel like they can do that again whilst also handling business against the team as they're supposed to. And Nick kind of alluded to this as well. You know, obviously they lose last year to Colorado. They lose to Purdue. Uh, they lose to Cal on the road, giving up. I think that might have been Cal's most points scored all season in a game. You know, giving thirty nine points to a Cal offense is impressive. Uh, so you know, I, you know, I, I think that when you look at it that way, if they can handle business against a team that they're supposed to, and not allow a couple of losses um, that we suspect against USC and at Utah to derail their season, they'll be fine. Um, you know, that's that's the biggest thing for them. And that's the next step that they have to take is being more of a model of consistency. Uh, Oregon State hasn't been a team that's competed at the top of the Big 12, I think, in my lifetime. Uh, maybe the last time was with Jacquez Rogers. 
to give you guys a, a quick flashback there. So this has got to be a team that's got to learn how to win. Sometimes that's the next step in your progression as a university is, okay, cool. We beat some of the big teams. Now we've got to also be able to beat, win the big games, but also win the games that we're supposed to win as well. Um, and if they can do that, like, like Nick said, they can compete for a Pac-12 title this year. Um, I, I think it's going to be great, you know, that, you know, you get to circle that kind of that last game of the season might decide who comes out, of, you know, who's the secondary team in the Pac-12 uh, this year with them against Oregon if they have run the table at that point. Uh, so I'm excited to watch Oregon State at the very least. I've got them, uh, you know, with the over. I think they go comfortably over six and a half games. Um, even if you give them all the losses that they made, you know, you know, this, you know, on paper look like the less team. Maybe they lose to USC, Utah, and Oregon, and you, may, and you can even give them the Boise State loss if you want to. That's still only four losses. That still puts them at eight wins. They, I think they comfortably go over. Um, and this is going to be a team that all year I'm going to kind of just keep my eye on to see if they can, you know, take a couple of games against against the big teams and handle business when they have to go play, you know, you're at Arizona State. Uh, the one thing I will say is they get their games at home this year that are very important to them. Uh, you know, like you said, Nick, Handling the small teams is important for them. Well, they get all those teams at home. Washington State at home. Colorado at home. Uh, you know, they even, you know, uh, USC at home, obviously. And even Oregon at the end of the year at home. And they get Cal at home. So all the teams that they lost to last year, they get an opportunity to, to right their wrongs in front of their home crowd, which should help out uh, with a team that's trying to make that next step in the progression of their school. When you look at them from, the, uh, from a recruiting standpoint, 56 with the composite rating, 71 overall. Um, you know, this is definitely a team that felt like they had what they, you know, what they needed to in that locker room, only bringing in one, count it, one transfer uh, in uh, Jemias Griffin from Georgia Tech, the running back. Uh, he should probably fit in nicely and, and be a part of that platoon swap that they have at running back this year. So, I, you know, I think they're also trending in the right direction recruiting wise, being top 60 in composite rating. It's a good thing. Uh, yes, 71 overall. It's a big gap, but this is a team that last year was 109th in the composite rating and 87th overall. So they're definitely trending in the right direction on the recruiting trail, uh, using what obviously has been some good seasons to bring some kids in. And uh, yeah, I think it's going really well for them. Sneakily, a really good team that recruits California extremely well, which obviously we know the kind of talent that's in California uh, out of the kids that they brought in last year, seven of them out of the four, out of the 17 kids total came from California. So if they're able to continue to recruit California, well, it's going to be a team that really makes a dent in the Pac-12. And as we know with USC and UCLA leaving, this is a team that could finally find itself trying to trend upwards uh, in the ranking of the, uh, of the Pac-12 as the years continue. You know, you, you real quick, you hit on something uh, that, we probably should have mentioned that, you know, they, they get a chance for revenge on a lot of those teams because they were six and zero at home last year yeah. and uh, one and six on the road also lost the bowl game, uh, right. but, you know, one at USC, but um, yeah, I mean, very uh, stark uh, home road splits obviously last year. So be interesting to see if that continues or if that was just sort of a fluky thing, um, you know, how it played out last season. Yeah, unfortunately, they do get Utah on the road. So if that if that's if that's indicative of what they did last year, then that's going to be an ugly game. <laughs> but yeah, let's go to number forty-two, Fresno State. Fresno State nearly upset Oregon and later knocked off UCLA while rising to eighteenth in the rankings. But losses to Hawaii and Boise State kept the Bulldogs out of the Mountain West Conference title game in a ten and three year. Uh, eight and a half is their DK win total. We have them at uh, nine and three, so we are over. Uh, this eight and a half. Don't get used to those overs for a while uh, for the rest of this show. But uh, Nick, 
Fresno State last year with uh, Kalen DeBoer off to Washington. Jeff Tedford takes over this year uh, as head coach. Again, Will Tedford's familiarity with the program and the roster keep Fresno State in the conference championship hunt and the 10-win range here. I think so. Um, you know, obviously, we talked about Boise State last show, mentioned them, uh, along with Fresno State being pretty tough non-conference opponents for Oregon State. We've actually got Fresno State as a slight favorite against Oregon State, which you know makes sense. They do have, uh, they do host that game, uh, and Fresno State just barely inched out Oregon State in our uh, rankings. So. Um, they are a talented team, bring you know quite a bit back. Uh, they rank 16th in overall returning production, 17th on the offensive side of the ball. Getting quarterback Jake Hayner back was huge. Hayner, uh, as we remember, briefly entered the transfer portal, looked like he was going to follow DeBoer to Washington, back to Washington, actually, since that's uh, who he signed with out of high school. But uh, came back, played in the bowl game, and uh, you know now is back for his – super senior season. So a uh, big piece of the puzzle, all Mountain West uh, performer, you know, maybe the best uh, quarterback in the Mountain West and, and certainly somebody that is going to give Fresno State a shot. He's got some playmakers to work with, even though they do uh, have to replace Ronnie Rivers. Jordan Mims is back. He had an opportunity in the bowl game to, you know, really uh, seize that number one role, but had been productive really over the course of his career has played 44 games um, has put together 10 production points, which for running backs are, you know, usually hundred yard games, uh, you know, conference player of the week, that, that type stuff, fairly, um, you know, just sort of easy type stuff, but uh, he's had an opportunity at times and, and has capitalized. So it's going to be interesting to see what Jordan Mims can do. Basically you would expect as sort of the bell cow, um, there for Fresno State. But uh, Jalen Cropper, back, one of the more exciting uh, receivers in college football. And he was a true freshman when uh, uh, what's, what's his name? Uh, just got hired. Uh, Jeff Tedford. I'm not blank. He was a, a, a true freshman when Tedford was the head coach last. And it was kind of interesting that offense, um, that coaching staff, I felt in some ways did a little bit better job of utilizing Cropper. And, and, you know, by that time or at that time, he hadn't really established himself as uh, one of the top targets, but um, you know, they used him on jet sweeps, used him in the running game, things like that. So it'd be kind of interesting to see if we, you know, see a little bit more of that now that uh, Tedford is back or if Cropper's just sort of established himself as, as one of the top wideouts and, you know, maybe, be creative with with some of the other guys but it's a deep unit josh kelly returning starter uh they added uh nico remigio from cal where you know he played a lot was actually a team captain there at cal um zane pope ty jones you know a lot of talented players including a couple of transfers and and you know certainly some guys who've uh played a lot of football and, and been productive in the past experienced offensive line um you know three returning starters technically, but um, several players have started, you know, a handful or more games. Uh, a lot of experiences rolled through. Unit didn't rank, you know, particularly well in performance. They were 85th in online performance last year. But I, I think that the group of playmakers offensively 
um, you know, they're, they're going to be in a pretty good spot, potentially one of the better offenses in the Mountain West. They, they, they certainly should be. Defensively, you know, kind of interesting. Similarly experienced, they're ranked 33rd in defensive returning production. Did lose a, a you know couple of uh, players to transfer, including you know one former starter, Wyland Free. But overall, you know, there's there's a lot back and and pretty much you know spread relatively equally uh, at all levels. David Perales at defensive end back for uh, his final year of eligibility. Another former all-conference performer, Evan Williams at safety, also former all-conference performer, one of the most productive safeties in all of college football last year. Um, and in areas where they thought they might've had a little bit of, uh, you know, a couple of holes created by guys using all of their eligibility, you know, they'll be without Aaron Mosby and Tyson Naeva, who was a, um, you know, really nice find for them as a, a transfer last year, uh, or Darren Bland, who got drafted in the fifth round. So um, they, they were able to, to, you know, put to a couple of Stanford transfers or, or likely to be in the two deep, if not starters up front. Raymond Scott transfer from USC looks like he's going to be a starter. Uh, Cam Lockridge, former starter at corner at Hawaii, um, you know, bring in for some depth and, and, you know, potentially could play a pretty big role on that defense. So I, I do think that Fresno State, at least on paper, um, really doesn't have any major weaknesses. They you know don't have one position group that you look at, unless it's offensive line. And even that, I, I think they're probably set up to to you know be in a pretty good spot. Um, they don't have one position group that that just looks like a major weakness. They've recruited pretty well over the past. Uh, you know, not not top of the of the uh, group of five necessarily, but um, they brought in some talented players. They've supplemented with transfers, and, and this year that continues. So the schedule has some tough games uh, in non conference play. They do host Oregon State, as we mentioned. They do go to USC. Uh, have to play Boise State in the the Mountain West opener. That's a that's going to be a tough one, especially on the road, but. Every game, I think, is winnable. In that USC game, they'll be in a talent disadvantage. Um, but, you know, this is a, a Fresno State team that our projections are, are pretty high on. Like I mentioned, we have them favored in 10 games. They also have the talent edge in 10 games. And our stats-only model, you know, really likes Fresno State as well, has them favored in 10 games. So I, I think that Tedford, who recruited a, you know, decent percentage uh, of these players, uh, you know, on, on the roster. I think there was a note in the athletic. Uh, he estimated 75% of the players um, have either already played for Tedford or were recruited by him before he stepped down a couple of years ago for health reasons. So he's familiar with a lot of these guys. Um, you know, the coaching staff is, is kind of old, but also, you know, knows Fresno State really well. A lot of guys have been there uh, off and on for a really long time. Um, also have familiarity with, with the, you know, the players. So I think it should be a relatively smooth transition. Uh, and, you know, the, the roster kind of sets up well enough, certainly to make a run at the Mountain West Championship. Uh, won't be easy. You know, that Boise State game is, is uh, we do have, uh, Fresno State is a slight underdog on the road, um, 
They do get San Diego State at home, which is good. Don't have to make the trip to Hawaii where they tripped up last year, uh, which is good. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some some areas where they will be tested. But at least you know the way we calculate things, it, it kind of seems like Fresno State uh, might be the team to beat in in the Mountain West, certainly in the West Division. If there is a West Division, <laughs> I, again, I, you know the way they change. It may who be, can keep up with it know. at this point, right? I right. mean, uh, who who knows? Xavier, your thoughts on uh, Fresno State and you know the coaching carousel and what can they do this year? Yeah, no, I think this is going to be a really good team. Nick hit it right on the head. This is a team that whatever deficiencies they had, they addressed quickly and swiftly in the transfer portal. Uh, you know, they finished with a top forty class as far as the transfer portal is, is concerned. Uh, bringing in some really good talent. I, I always think it's funny when two kids leave the same school and go to the same school. Uh, in this case, not only is it two kids and, and, and Joshua uh, Pocola and, uh, and Andre Fox, but they also play the same position. So I, I always, I'm always thinking like, are these kids in the, in their dorm room, like you know, conspiring to leave at the same time? Uh, I've always just thought about that because I would do it. Uh, the bringing in Raymond Scott obviously helps the defense. Uh, Jacob, you know, Nick talked about their probably their one deficiency, which might be offensive line, but they bring in uh, Jake um, Asaya from Michigan State. That should help out a little bit. Obviously, bringing in some P5 talent never, you know, it's never a bad thing uh, to try to help out a, a position that's, you know, deemed pretty weak or weaker than the positions that they have. Uh, so, you know, when you look at their schedule, though, my only concern <laughs> genuinely is that they have like a, a really early bye week and they that fatigue or injuries might settle in, set in because they have to play nine straight games. That's really it. Uh, outside of that, when you look at obviously, you know, their schedule going to uh, you know, playing Oregon State, then going to uh, Los Angeles and playing uh, USC, I think I'm gonna have to circle that USC game as a barometer matchup. Uh, you know, I, I, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, I think the Oregon State game they should they should maybe compete, maybe win that game. When you look at the kind of talent that they have, and more importantly, when you look at the returning production that they have on this roster, uh, then they then they get into conference play. And outside of like Nick said, outside of going to Boise State, and honestly. Nick, to be honest, are they does the number change that drastically because they're going to Idaho? Uh, we use just a uh, basic two and a half points. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So if it were a neutral field, um, Fresno State would be less than a one point favorite. I mean, they're they're right there, very close. Boise State was what forty sixth in our rankings. Mm -hmm. Fresno State's forty seven. Mm -hmm. uh, so it it would be a virtual toss up. Uh, but the fact, yeah, that they are are going to Boise. Um, we add that two and a half points, and and so it's close to now a two point uh, favorite. Uh, Boise State, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And I think that, and, that, and that's why I asked the question because, perfect. To be perfectly honest with you, that game is as much of a toss up as I think any game on their. You know, is that's probably the only genuine toss up on their schedule that has any type of conference implication. Um, you know, they're going to get San Jose at home. That's going to be a tougher out just because San Jose State has been better. Um, now I do expect them to still win that game. They also get San Diego State at home. They get their big games next year are all at home. I think that's the kind of the, the key here outside of at Boise State. Well, like I said, San Jose State, they get at home. San Diego State, they get at home. And they finish their year off with Wyoming also at home. So I, I think that this is a team that absolutely should go over, you know, uh, their, their win total of eight and a half. You know, I think that's – I will not say that's lowballing. You never want to go too too crazy with a team that shouldn't – that may not win all of their non-conference games. Uh, but still, this, this is a team that – 
bare minimum, two and two out of the non-conference. And I think they win all but maybe one of their games in the conference play. Uh, that would give them, obviously, nine wins at that point. So I, I think that this is a team that can compete for a Mountain West title. Uh, I'm, impre- I'm intrigued to see what Boise State looks like by the time that they play them. Uh, they play them in week five. Uh, Boise State, you know, in the second year of a new head coach, uh, will they be ready to go? Or, or will, you know, Fresno State be able to catch them out a little bit more uh, because it's a little earlier in the season than, you know, maybe some of these bigger matchups are, uh, you know, if they were playing in them in November, would they obviously be a, a different ball game? So, Fresno State's got to be, if not your favorite, right behind Boise State um, as your favorite for the Mountain West this year. And I don't see why they can't continue on, you know, the road that they have. And, you know, Fresno State's been kind of a consistent force in the Mountain West for a very long time, uh, even back to, like, the Reggie Bush days at, Ca- at USC. They played them a couple of times. Uh, so that they've been a consistent force here, and they, and they continue to do so. I think they replicate what they did last year going 10-3, and three, and they were able to do that um, almost maybe to a T this year. Uh, the only difference is, they, they you know, they made Bo- – beat Boise State versus, you know, losing to them 40 to 14. And I don't see them slipping up against, you know, a Hawaii on the road um, as they also, I think, get Hawaii at home this year. All right, let's go over to number 41, Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State fans hearing about how the Cowboys came up inches short uh, of a Big 12 championship, losing to Baylor 21 to 16. But they did win 37-35 in their in the Fiesta Bowl game over Notre Dame to finish off a 12 and 2 very impressive season for them. Eight and a half is the DK win total. We're not there. We've got them at seven and five, so well under that eight and a half. Nick with Oklahoma State uh, inches from that title last year. Our projections expect the Cowboys to take a pretty significant step back. Are we too low on the pokes given the team's experience at key positions like quarterback, offensive line, and defensive line? It's possible. Certainly possible that we are too low. Uh, pretty strong track record there. Uh, pretty you know consistent. Staff's been in place for a long time. Um, you know, we we'll, did have to make a change at, at defensive coordinator after losing uh, Jim Knowles to. Ohio State, but, you know, brought in Derek Mason, uh, really respected defensive coordinator there. So wouldn't expect a huge drop off in terms of, uh, you know, coaching ability and, and things like that. Um, but I'm, I'm torn a little bit because Oklahoma State was a real um, area, was a, was a team that uh, we were unexpectedly high on last year. And, and we were kind of outliers in a lot of ways. Uh, they were, you know, top 20 for sure. Um, and, and maybe even uh, higher in our preseason power rankings last year. And it felt like maybe ESPN's uh, football power index was close to us, but pretty much, uh, you know, SP plus and a lot of the other folks um, that, that, uh, you know, you, you see rankings uh, systems and, and projections uh, seemed like we were kind of out on an island. And, and I was a little bit nervous about that, but it worked out. You know, Oklahoma State, uh, don't don't know that we necessarily expected that they would um, nearly win the Big 12, but they were certainly um, a top 25 team and, and uh, really, you know, played even better than that, finished uh, as a top 10 team actually, you know, not just the rankings, but in our team performance as well. They ranked eighth in overall team performance. And part of that was a top five defense, defense that ranked fifth, or excuse me, third uh, in defensive team performance overall 
really well-rounded group, number six against the pass, number three against the run. Um, so to for us, it you know, it seems like now things have flipped a little bit. Not that anybody is expecting Oklahoma State to be a top 10 team again, but you know, they're they're ranked in a lot of the things that I see. I just happen to have my Athlon uh magazine open here and you know their prediction their forecast has uh oklahoma state 17th so uh wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if if uh they're a top 25 preseason team uh in the polls and you know the way they played last year uh, certainly would deserve a, a ranking like that and based on bringing guys back like spencer sanders who's a senior now um if you're going to have some experience having a multi-year starter at quarterback, having a lot of experience on the offensive line and on the defensive line as well. Um, a unit that, you know, we had our number one defense in, or excuse me, our number one uh, offensive line in our performance rankings in Oregon State. Well, Oklahoma State was our number one defensive line last year, and a lot of those guys are back. They even are able to, to – add a couple of guys who missed time with injuries last year, Trace Ford, Colin Clay, both those guys, uh, I believe are back, but uh, add that to the group with Brock Martin, Colin Oliver, both all big 12 performers, incredibly productive defensive ends, Tyler Lacey, Brendan Evers as well. Sione Asi in the middle. I mean, that defensive line still, you know, could be uh, a top unit ranks in the top 15 in our talent numbers. But the rest of the defense, I mean, they have to replace a lot. Uh, defensive returning production, they bring back roughly 40%, which ranks 126th nationally. Uh, and a big chunk of that is in the back seven. You know, they they lost three uh, starters who were drafted. They lost, looks like, six starters uh, total to eligibility. And then a couple of guys transferred out. Tanner McAllister, uh, followed Knowles to Ohio State and Jarek Bernard Converse, um, who started 47 games at Oklahoma State, transferred to LSU. So it's going to be almost completely different on you know the back end, back seven. The linebacker core is incredibly uh, you know inexperienced. Um, nobody played 80 snaps last year. Uh, for this team looks like you know one junior college uh performer likely is is going to come in and be an immediate starter xavier benson and then have to fill in you know the rest of that group uh to be pretty inexperienced but uh, oklahoma state's a, a little bit of a difficult team for me to um really kind of get a good read on because last year i i felt like honestly we were wrong. I felt like, you know, it, it sounds silly for me to say as the one who uh, kind of built the, the projections and, and put the uh, weights in where they are. And I, I just kept thinking to myself, like, how in the world is Oklahoma State this high? And a big piece of it was that, you know, team performance history. They had um, been a, you know, solid top 35 to fringe top 25 team uh, for, for quite a while. And our preseason projections do take into account three years worth of results. Now this year, you know, you, you flip that around and say, well, they were a top 10 team last year and last year's results count the most in that three year weighted average. But then I look at 
the roster shrink numbers, which are actually the biggest piece of the puzzle overall. And based on the players, and a lot of it's on defense, but you know, overall, uh, Oklahoma State ranks 67th in roster strength, 57th on offense, 71st on defense, and that's with um, you know a pretty highly rated, some might say overrated uh, quarterback Spencer Sanders, who's a 95. I mean, he's been you know good and and did get some All Big 12 consideration last year, but is he actually individually you know a, a mid 90s? rated player on the field uh you know I'm, I'm not so sure but um it'll be interesting to see because dominic richardson's going to have an opportunity to be you know the guy at running back brennan presley has been an all big 12 performer in the past Jaden bray's getting some buzz Braden johnson back from injury um you know Braden cassidy starter at tight end uh even though they don't use tight ends a whole lot in the passing game there so oklahoma state's going to be interesting because I do feel like this team has taken a, a bit of a step back um, from last year, lost some really important pieces, uh, but also, you know, bring back at least as far as the concentration of, of important units, quarterback, offensive line, defensive line, bring back a lot of key pieces as well. Um, the schedule, you know, sets up decently well, a lot of winnable games, um, you know, even that trip to Oklahoma, certainly uh, difficult. That's the, the closest we get to Oklahoma State being a double-digit underdog. But every other game on the schedule, uh, they're either favored or uh, an underdog of, of you know less than a touchdown. Um, the, the next closest is Texas at home. And we know Oklahoma State's you know, given Texas plenty of trouble over the years. So as a four-point underdog in that game, wouldn't be a shock to, to see Oklahoma State uh, be in that game or, or even win it. So wide range of outcomes. I feel like I've said that for plenty of teams, but Oklahoma State, I think, fits it better than most. This could be a team that has to scratch and claw to get bowl eligible, but it also you know, could be uh, a team that we just whiff on. And, and you know, maybe they are a 9-10 win uh, type team, but... I guess if I have to, you know, give myself a little bit of, of uh, a pep talk is to uh, feel like we, we kind of are on the wrong side, maybe, of Oklahoma State, or at least uh, an outlier again. It's the fact that we were an outlier, you know, to the positive last year and it worked out. Maybe, um, you know, maybe we'll get lucky or, or maybe we've got a little bit, or at least the numbers do, uh, have a decent read on, on this team and to where they when they will excel and, and when they'll take a step back. And, you know, maybe this year is just one of those years that, that they come back a little bit. Javier, what do you think about Oklahoma state? Do you think uh, that they're going to be able to blow past this number? Or do you think this is a year where they do take a little bit of a step back? So I was bullish on them last year. Um, I was me and the numbers were right on the same wavelength. Um, I, I thought that they were going to be really good last year. I thought that the rest of the Big 12 was really kind of underrating how good uh, they will be. Uh, I'm not sure that that's kind of going to be the case this year, uh, but I do think that this is going to be a, a, a pretty darn good ball club, and that's how I'm going to put it. You know, I, I think that this will be a team that, you know, their non-conference doesn't scare me at all, and, and that's important when it comes to it comes uh, to Oklahoma State here, and I think they'll run through that. They'll be three and zero, and honestly, it's going to come down to a couple of ball games. But I, I do think this is a team that goes over. I'm going to be bullish on them again. 
I think Spencer Sanders takes that next step as a quarterback. I think he's going to have to uh, this year with, uh, with with how much talent that they have lost. I think he's going to have to be just that much better where, you know, in the past he, he's been able to get away with some stuff. Um, heck, even in the Big 12 championship game, if I'm not mistaken, he was pretty bad um, in that game for them to still, you know, compete uh, and almost win the whole thing. So, uh, But once again, I think that this is a team that can compete with the rest of the Big 12 and will compete with the rest of the Big 12. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, so that's how I'm going to say it. They're going to win nine-plus games. I think that they go in and they make sure that at the very least, at the very least, it comes down to them, Oklahoma, and Texas. Uh, I, I think, yes, you have to throw Baylor's hat in the ring because of what Dave Aranda has done there, um, even though they do have a new quarterback. I'm seeing somewhat of a step back with uh, Blake Shapin, uh at the, at the quarterback position this year. Just a tad bit, nothing crazy, uh, but that's just enough of a step back for a team like Oklahoma State to replicate what they did last season. Um, I do love the fact that they also get that game, uh, the game against Texas at home. I think that's very important. Uh, I think that was one of the reasons as to why they beat Oklahoma last year uh, was them having that game at home. They played extremely well in that ball game, especially offensively. Uh, they get Baylor after a bye week, so that's hugely important. They get prepared for a team like Dave Aranda and the kind of style in which he likes to play defense, which he likes to fly around, throw different kind of looks at you, blitz from different areas. So you're going to need that extra week to prepare for them. I um, mean, heck, to be honest with you, they might take three weeks to prepare for them because they're playing UA, you know, Arkansas Pine Bluff the uh, the week before the bye week. So, you know, you might, you know, just, just being honest, you might take another week to go ahead and start watching some Baylor tape uh, just to get prepared for, for for that ball game. Um, and then once again, they get Oklahoma at the end of the year. The one thing I do love about their schedule is that they don't get any back-to-back-to-back contests. Uh, they don't have to play Texas, Oklahoma, and Baylor within a four-week span, right? They get them all kind of by themselves in and amongst, uh, so you know, I won't say some easier games, but in and amongst, you know, not nearly as difficult, uh, right? You get Texas after TCU, okay, and then before Kansas State. You get Oklahoma after Iowa State and before West Virginia. So once again, if they're able to handle their business, which I don't see why they won't be able to, this should be absolutely a team that wins nine-plus games, gets at least – it is in the running of a New Year's Six Bowl um, and has a genuine chance to compete for another big uh, Big 12 title. Uh, I like Spencer Sanders. I've always thought that he was like maybe just like an offseason away uh, uh, from figuring it out. That's how I've always thought about it. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, he's going to show that this year that he's really like an offseason away from figuring it all out. Uh, and so, yeah, give me give me the over on Oklahoma State. I am bullish on uh, those guys over there uh, in, in Stillwater. For a second year in a row going over to the number 40 team here uh somehow ahead of oklahoma state i find this offensive but nebraska is number 40 uh it was yet another disappointing season for the huskers in 2021 as they posted a three and nine record that included several heartbreakers and eight different one possession losses their uh dk win total is seven and a half we have them at seven and five so we are officially under the seven and a half Nick, the Huskers ranked among the top 40 teams in performance in 2021, indicating that their team was way better than this ugly record. Should we expect a big jump in wins and a bowl game for the first time since 2016, or is this the same underachieving Scott Frost program that we have seen for the last couple of years? I have absolutely no idea. Um, Nebraska is kind of an enigma not just you know to me but but to a lot of folks you mentioned we're under the seven and a half so i I think that's probably uh for the best however 
We do have Nebraska favored in nine games. Uh, they have talent edges in 10 games. Uh, so it's, you know, we absolutely could see a flip the record type uh, situation. You know, the, the uh, schedule sets up pretty well, even though they do have that long trip, um, you know, play week zero, play Northwestern in Dublin. Uh, I am a little bit nervous, regardless of whether or not they win that game, that they come back. That's going to be, a, you know, it's not really a short week, but um, they host North Dakota, who's not a pushover of an FCS opponent. Uh, it's not North Dakota State, but the University of North Dakota still, you know, pretty pretty good. Um, a team that could be jet lagged for a day or two after they get back from uh, playing that conference game. That's that's a tricky, you know, that's trickier than the thirty-one uh, point favorite we've currently got Nebraska projected in, in that game. Um, but if they play that game at home. They're able to get to get through that. Uh, Georgia Southern and Oklahoma at home. They gave Oklahoma fits last year at times, and and you know, I believe uh, that's a winnable game, especially getting it early in the season with the coaching turnover there at Oklahoma. Um, but having to play those four in a row, you know, I, I probably would like a little bit more time to recover after that uh, transatlantic flight. But it does get them two bye weeks during, uh, you know one right before Big Ten uh, schedule opens, and then a few more weeks they get another right before the calendar turns to November and the toughest part of their schedule. They also don't have to play Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State. So having not even discussed you know a single player yet, <laughs> I, I feel like um, there are certainly some positives and, and certainly some reasons to understand why uh, Nebraska – can take a, a big, big step forward. Returning production numbers aren't great. They're like 103rd overall, 102nd on offense, and 89th on defense. But um, they've, I think, made some positive additions through the transfer portal. Casey Thompson seems to have the uh, inside track at the quarterback job. The change to Mark Whipple running the offense seems uh, to, to potentially be a, a positive, especially he helped orchestrate a, a unit that uh, helped lead Pitt to the ACC title last year, made um, Kenny Pickett a first-round pick, and, and made Jordan Addison the Bolitnikoff Award winner. So uh, will Casey Thompson, you know, follow in, in those, um, you know, follow, follow that path? Not so sure, but hearing some good things about Trey Palmer, a transfer from LSU, they added, you know, some depth, uh, in that receiving core, Marcus Washington, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda transfers in. Uh, and, you know, those guys mixing in with Omar Manning, Oliver Martin, both of whom are back. Uh, an offensive line that lost some talent, including a second round pick, Cam Jurgens. But I think offensively, you know, even though this team did uh, rank in the top 50 in offensive team performance overall, I think has the ability to, to potentially be even better hearing a lot of great things at the running back position about a, a Juco transfer, Anthony Grant, Ramirez Johnson is, uh, seems like a, a very versatile running back, did some good things once he finally was able to, to emerge as the starter 
last year, but it sounds like they're moving him around a lot in fall camp, um, getting some work out of the slot, also a good receiver out of the backfield. So just kind of interested to see, you know, what this new offense looks like. A lot of new faces, new play caller um, seems, you know, and, and it's easy to get wrapped up this time of year and some positive buzz, but I think offensively, you know, Nebraska's a pretty intriguing team. Defensively, this was a pretty solid unit last year. You know, ranked 44th in defensive team performance overall. Also have to replace some of the bigger names. Cam Taylor-Britt, another second-round pick, you know, among those. Guys like Damian Daniels, JoJo Doman, uh, and, you know, Deontay Williams all signed as undrafted free agents. So some talented guys that you'll be missing through loss of eligibility or, or turning pro but brought in guys like O'Shawn Mathis, a really productive edge uh, defender from TCU, actually a 100-rated player. Um, I was really concerned early in the offseason about the Nebraska defensive line, but bringing in Mathis, bringing in Devin Drew, bringing in Stephon Wynn, um, who played 20 games at Alabama prior to transferring, you know, I, I feel like that unit actually could perform better than they did last year when they were 75th in, in D-line performance rating. Uh, the linebacker core should be a strength, you know, even though they lost Doman, uh, bring back three or four starters and, and a lot of depth there that they've been able to build over the years. Uh, the secondary is certainly less experienced, but I uh, got one starter back in corner, Quentin Newsom, brought in Omar Brown, a transfer from the FCS level. Looks like he's going to be, the starter on the other side, and then you know guys like Miles Farmer, Javon Wright, uh, hearing some positive buzz about Tommy Hill, a new transfer uh, coming in. So uh, a, a lot of moving pieces, a lot uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know the coaching change on offense adds sort of a, another uh, level of uncertainty, but the fact that Nebraska lost so many close games. And, you know, the record, as you said, was ugly. But if you look at those underlying stats, I mean, people made a joke out of it, of course. Uh, but like, oh, this is the, the best nine loss team in college football history. And that sounds silly to say, but a lot of those underlying stats, uh, they performed pretty well. They just couldn't get it done on the scoreboard. So uh, certainly I don't you know, trust Nebraska quite to, to break out yet. Uh, but I do think that just naturally um, the, the change in schedule strength, uh, the change, you know, in a positive way, maybe get a couple of breaks that, that went the wrong way last year. I do think they will get back to a bowl. I think I, you know, I don't mind that we're on the under by any stretch, um, but don't be shocked if, you know, Nebraska does actually get back uh, on, on, you know, in a big way and, and makes a run at the Big Ten West. And I think I did misspeak earlier. I think I said they didn't play Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State. They do play Michigan. So that was a mistake if I if I said that incorrectly earlier. But uh, still, the schedule otherwise sets up pretty well uh, for Nebraska to at least have an opportunity to make a big bounce back. Xavier, I mean, I, I like parts of Nebraska. I think Casey Thompson is a huge get for them, but – uh, I am I am ready to hear what you have to say about the Huskers here. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be as negative as I have been about this team in the past. Uh, more importantly, about Scott Frost. What has uh, happened to you? No, no, Come on. 
nothing. It, it's, it's the numbers. The numbers getting got softer, getting yeah, softer in your older old age. age. Yeah, That's what it is. I'm not the same 23 year old <laughs> I was on this podcast. Uh, but no, um, I, I think this team goes as far as the quarterback situation goes. Uh, it is sad to personally see Adrian Martinez leave when he probably would have had the best roster, maybe since he's gotten to the school, um, you know, at, at his disposal. Uh, but it's going to be on the backs of, like you said, Casey Thompson uh, has got to be one of them, uh, whether or not, uh, you know, obviously uh, Purdy gives him any kind of competition. Uh, I think it's Thompson's job to lose this point. Uh, but once again, this is going to be a team that goes as far as that quarterback can take them. And we'll see very early on. I think that Northwestern game being in Ireland makes it a lot more difficult than maybe if it was just against Northwestern, you know, in Illinois um, or, or obviously in, in Nebraska. I think that, you know, travel obviously adds a different element of a, of, of of difficulty to to a, to a game that I think otherwise would have been I won't say easy but maybe just not as not as difficult. Uh, the rest of their non-conference schedule that that Oklahoma game I, I know Nick said that they could possibly be Oklahoma and, and I understand Oklahoma's got a ton of turnover uh, from the coaching staff on down to the, obviously the quarterback play and things of that nature. I just don't see it. I, I just don't see it. You know maybe this. Maybe they do beat them, and, and you know we get the Nebraska's back stuff on Twitter. Uh, that, that would that would be a nice weekend. That would be a fun weekend to be a part of. But I just don't see them beating Oklahoma. I know it, I also understand it's in Lincoln, um, and they'll be raring up for that game. Um, as obviously the the, the the two non-conference games before that against North Dakota and you know Georgia State or Georgia Southern, excuse me, don't really get anybody up. So I, I, I understand that, but I think Oklahoma is still a better team overall. Um, and I think they just still have more talent. And Oklahoma will have its own non-conference schedule at that point that they've been through. Uh, so I think they'll have a little bit more gelling at that point. Uh, I, and then to the next credit, the rest of the schedule at that point, they should they should handle pretty they they should handle pretty easy uh, outside of the Michigan game. Now I will say I will say that at Michigan, Wisconsin, at Iowa to end the season could be awful. It, it, it just downright could be a terrible situation. Uh, not only that, but they do also play Minnesota in that time frame. I think in Minnesota before Michigan. Uh, so that, that, that four game stretch could be really, could be really tough. Uh, two of those games on the road, two of those games at home. So, uh, you know, I just think that if they're able to take that next step, then they're going to, they're going to win at least three out of that four games. When I talk about Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, and uh, at Iowa towards the end of the year, if they're really taking that next step that we you know, that, that Nick alluded to them possibly taking this year, it'll be because they handle business in those four games in particular. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is a Nebraska team that's extremely talented. I, I think that, you know, what, from, from all the crap that I give Scott Frost, it's kind of the same crap that I gave Harbaugh. You've got all the talent in the world. Can you put it all together for a full year and not just give me a sample? You know, don't just beat one solid team. Don't just be, you know, a couple of good teams. Can you beat the, the you know, the heavy hitters that you're going to need to in this case to, you know, either compete for your own, uh, compete for a Big Ten title, or even like in the case of beating Oklahoma, just put you out back on the national stage um, and in the national conversation. Uh, if they, this will be a game, and I'm going to point to this game and then and I'll be done. If they lose at Purdue, and this is a game that I think people are – I'm circling it because I think, you know, this is a game that personally will tell me how far Nebraska has come. Purdue obviously was a juggernaut – that will beat juggernauts last year. They upset Iowa, upset Michigan State. If they lose to Purdue, my, my, my faith in Nebraska immediately drops again. And that's before they play Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa. But that's one of those games that in, the, in Scott Frost's tenure they have not been able to do. 
They've not been able to go into some place like Purdue and handle business like they're supposed to in his tenure. With the talent that they have on display this year and with the quarterback options that they'll have, even if Casey Thompson isn't the guy, when you finish with a top 10 transfer rating, uh, you should be able to, at the very least, compete and beat Purdue at that point going into a bye week and setting yourself up pretty nicely for that last four to five games of the year. If they don't beat Purdue, I'm back on my Scott Frost needs to needs to go train. I'm going to just be completely honest with you at that point. All right, let's move over to another disappointing team, number 39, Florida State. They took Notre Dame to overtime in week one, but lost the shocker to Jacksonville State in week two. The Knowles finished on a 5-3 run, but the 0-4 start was too much to overcome to get back to a bowl. DK's got their win total at 6.5. We have them at 6-6, six and six, so we're under that 6.5 total, but we do have them as bowl eligible. Uh, Nick, like Nebraska, Florida State has struggled to turn the corner. Will the Seminoles be able to capitalize on the improvement they made last year at the end of the season and break through for this year? I think this is just a real tough uh, section of teams <laughs> like in our rankings uh, right here around number 40, where if a couple of things go right, they could be in the top 25. A couple of things go wrong. They're not bowl eligible. And Florida State, like Nebraska, like Arizona State, like Oregon State, you know, I, I think fits that pretty well. Um, reasons to be positive, you know, they, they finished pretty well last year. So if you think that that means, you know, they're going to be able to enter the offseason with some momentum and, and that leads to, uh, you know, better uh, preparation, weight room, you know, spring practice, all that good stuff, um, that, then that's certainly, you know, a good thing. Uh, Jordan Travis back at quarterback, at least from an experience standpoint, is a big plus. Um, seems like, you know, after it was a bit of a question uh, last year as to whether or not he would start a lot of the offseason with Mackenzie Milton coming in, um, and then he ended up losing the job in that Notre Dame game, uh, briefly and, and, you know, a little bit of, of, uh, will he, or will he not be the starter? That shouldn't be much of an issue this year. And unless one of the, uh, much younger players kind of just steps up and, and, uh, takes that job, but it seems like Jordan Travis, who can be electric, can be one of the, you know, at least top running quarterbacks, uh, in the country, you know, uh, seems like a, a pretty good piece uh, to build around. would love to see a um, little bit more consistency, excuse me, consistency in the passing game. But part of that, you know, they, they needed to make uh, some adjustments talent wise and, and brought in some pretty, you know, high, big name transfers uh, guys who were really highly rated coming out of high school, like Micah Pittman, Johnny Wilson, uh, Johnny Wilson, you know, transfer from Arizona state, one of many, uh, across college football, but a huge target, 6'6", 230. Um, you know, sounds like he and Pittman are, are likely to start. We have them projected to start alongside Ontario, Ontario Wilson, uh, which would push Malik McLean, who, you know, played a lot as a true freshman last year, started nine games, uh, into that, you know, second level, but, now they're they're deep. Um, you know, unfortunately, Winston Wright Jr., who transferred from West Virginia, doesn't look like he's going to play anytime soon because he uh, suffered some pretty significant injuries in a uh, car accident over the uh, 
uh, offseason. But uh, Deuce Span, former quarterback, I think has a, a really, really high ceiling transfer from Illinois. Also hearing some good things about him as well. So, you know, Travis certainly has some playmakers to work with on the outside, including, you know, several new faces. And as we said with other, you know, teams bringing in a, a lot of transfers, it doesn't always work out. But it, it certainly, you know, there's more to choose from uh, for this coaching staff. And, and uh, I think the opportunity is there. A lot of these guys are, are really intriguing uh, talents. And, and so I'm interested to see, you know, will they add a new layer to, to the offense, especially in the passing game? The running game, in addition to Travis, you know, should be in, in pretty good hands. Trishon Ward uh, is back. Um, Lawrence Tafali is, you know, a, a big play guy. Hasn't gotten a lot of touches necessarily. Um, has only played, you know, has played fewer than 300 snaps combined uh, across the last couple of years, but always seems to make big plays, you know, when I see him, when he gets an opportunity to touch the football. Uh, add to that, Trey Benson, another transfer from Oregon, who uh, apparently is just, you know, people are raving about uh, what he's done since he's arrived in, in Tallahassee. So that trio looking to replace Deshaun Corbin, and seems to me like, you know, there's a, a pretty good chance that they will. We mentioned it at the top of the show. Unfortunately, one of the transfers that Florida State was uh, really expected to lean on on the offensive line, starting center Caden Lyles, is going to be out uh, for the season due to injury. Um, but four starters return. Uh, three other transfers are in the mix to potentially start. Dimitri Emanuel looks like he's uh, in line to be the starting right guard. Justin uh, Turntine, right now, back up to Robert Scott at left tackle. Uh, but he and Bless Harris both, I think, uh, could be in the mix at right tackle, uh, depending on how things play out. But that unit, yeah, I know we've been saying it, you know, the offensive line for Florida State's been a, a weakness for a while now, but looks like certainly we'll have an opportunity to improve uh, on that performance rating. They ranked 92nd last year. If they could inch up toward you know the 60s uh this offense really could and you know there's a lot of ifs there's a lot of coulds but i do think the potential is there that we really could see a, a bit of a breakout for florida state offensively get into that top 50 you know maybe even push toward top 40 in offensive team performance after they ranked 65th last year a big part of that will be improving on a, a passing offense that ranked 82nd. But uh, defensively, Florida State made a, a big step forward last year. They went from 114th in defensive team performance in 2020 to 29th last year. Uh, the big problem is, you know, the single biggest impact performer was Jermaine Johnson, transferred from Georgia, developed into not just a starter, but a first round draft pick of uh, the New York Jets last year. He and Keir Thomas, who's uh, in camp, signed with a, as a free agent with the Rams. Um, you know, they're, they're going to miss those guys because the defensive line, you know, made a big, big improvement. The pass rush made a big improvement. Um, will Jared Verse, a transfer from the FCS level, Albany, uh, have a similar impact? It's difficult, I think, to expect that. But um, I'm hearing a lot of really, really good buzz about verse as well. So uh, we shall see. 
The linebacker core added a really productive transfer in Tatum Bethune from UCF. That unit's pretty experienced, not super you know, deep as far as just numbers go, but a lot of experience there. A lot of guys have played, uh, you know, made a dozen starts or more and 400 snaps or more. Uh, and they only have two of them on the field at a time usually. So um, should be good there. Jamie Robinson, Nickelback uh, is back, all ACC performer. But, uh, you know, as is the case with Florida State, they've consistently recruited really talented players, uh, bring back a lot of experience this year in, in, you know, certain pockets, rank 15th in overall returning production and 13th on the defensive side of the ball. Um, But it hasn't always played out quite that way on the field. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, will guys like, Akeem Dent, who really hasn't been super productive, but was a you know five-star level uh, signee a couple of years ago. Uh, Kevin Knowles, who's a returning starter, sounds like the the player uh, of you know the first few days of uh, fall camp was a true freshman. Azaria Thomas, uh, really talented, came in as an athlete, six-two, uh, defensive back, uh, making a ton of plays, like four or five turnovers in the first two practices. So, will that secondary? develop into the strength that it looks like on paper where they're a top 20 unit nationally in, in our talent rankings. Uh, this defense, you know, looks like a top 20 unit as far as roster strength goes 17th in roster strength. So we, we will see this Florida state team like it has for a while now has a ton of potential. And, and, you know, even though the talent numbers aren't quite what they were during the Jimbo Fisher era, 33rd overall in roster strength. We're used to seeing, you know, top 10 uh, or, or top 20 numbers there in, in total roster strength. But I do think that, you know, they've they've brought in not just highly raked recruits, but some actual, uh, you know, guys that that have flashed a little bit, uh, have shown some things at times. So will that develop into more wins? Difficult to say. Right at you know, fighting for bowl eligibility is is where we are. You mentioned we're not expecting them to go over that six and a half, but I do think, you know, if a few things line up and, and some of these transfers click in the way Jermaine Johnson did, and that's probably, you know, maybe even not, you know, that that's, that's probably uh, by far best case scenario. One of these guys develops into an immediate, you know, impact player and, and future first round pick. But if they get just a a percentage of that from a couple of these guys, uh, Florida State has a lot of winnable games on the schedule. You know, they're, they're slight favorites. Um, there are a lot of uh, close matchups with teams like, you know, Boston College, Wake Forest, uh, who are bowl teams, have them as a slight favorite against Syracuse. Um, you know, less uh, right around a, a touchdown against the, you know, everybody's favorite preseason ACC team, NC State. Not favorite as in favorite to win, but, you know, the, the kind of hot team uh, at the moment. So Florida State's going to have a lot of opportunities, certainly some tough matchups, that neutral site game against LSU. You know, playing Louisiana in non-conference is, is uh, a little bit of a head-scratching decision, seeing as how uh, they've performed in, in the last few years. Always tough at Florida, regardless of, you know, what preseason expectations are. Do get the Gators at home, but still, uh, you know, difficult matchup in, in that rivalry game. But Florida State will be playing, I think, a lot of um, 
a lot of close games, have an opportunity to to win a lot of them, but uh, six and six feels about right to me. And and I I certainly think that they could get over and into that seven or eight win total, uh, but I don't quite trust them yet to do it. So get get bowl eligible first, and then maybe look to take that next step in in twenty twenty three. Xavier, your thoughts on uh, Florida State this season? Are you? Uh, I mean, this team is always talented. It's always very talented. The recruiting classes are always good. It's still Florida State, but uh, they've just been disappointing. They've been on the same level uh, as Nebraska. So, what do you think? Yeah, no. Nick took the word right out of my mouth. Trust, and I don't trust Mike Norvell yet. I don't trust what he does with talent just yet. You know, maybe you know, like he said. Give me a year where you you compete at a high level. You you win set seven games, and you know you you beat a team that maybe you're not supposed to be, quote unquote, right? Um, you know that, that that will put me in a position where I'm like, okay, cool. You know, like this year they beat Clemson. If they're able to beat Clemson at home, that'll put me right back in that in that mode in that mindset that okay, cool. This team maybe you know maybe Florida State's starting to work its way back into the right direction. I'm not gonna hit you with the Florida State's back, but you know they're they're moving in in, in the right direction and. This is a schedule, and honestly, when I first looked at the schedule, I said there's no way this team was seven and a half games. Now, with recent developments with Sam Hartman, they might have a chance, uh, to be honest. But when you look at the fact that they have to start off with LSU, yes, LSU is in a weird position, but I still think that's more of a toss-up than anything. Uh, then you go after the uh, an early bye week, you get Louisville, Boston College, Wake Forest, NC State, Clemson. I genuinely think though that 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 list right there is just awful. It, it is. Uh, not, not only do I think Louisville is going to be a pretty good team this year. I, I said in the last episode that I think Boston College, you know, is you know that that, that Yurkovich's, you know, hype was stolen by Will Levis. Uh, then you got Wake Forest. That if you know at that point Sam Hartman is back, you know he he's going to be trying to you know make up for lost time. Um, then you have at NC State, which is never an easy game for anybody in the ACC, depending, no, no matter who it is. Going to Raleigh to play that team is never easy, whether it's Ryan Finley at quarterback or this year with Devin Leary at quarterback. I mean, then obviously you rounded out with playing Clemson, and Clemson is Clemson. So, you know, I just – I'm looking for – I'm pulling at straws here if that team starts off rather slow um, by losing the LSU earlier on in the year. If they lose the LSU in that first game, this could get ugly. This could get ugly. This could be a team that, you know, maybe goes very similar to that of North Texas last year, uh, where they start off, you know, one in five, two in four, um, and they've got to, you know, rally at the end of the year when their schedule just gets a little bit easier. I mean, it's not a complete break. Don't get me wrong. They still have to play at Miami in that, you know, that last bunch. But then, you know, you get at Miami, Florida, which I expect to be better. But obviously, you know, that game is that that game is a rivalry game already, you know, you throw everything out and then obviously playing Louisiana in that time frame as well. I just don't see a patch in their season where they are playing just, you know, teams that I think they're outright just better than now talent wise. And, and Nick, you're, you're, the, the, the numbers probably suggest something differently, but what I've watched over Florida state over the last couple of years, I just can't trust that they're just going to, you know, handle that, uh, that middle part of the schedule. Well, that they're just going to be able to handle a Louisville team that they're probably more talented than, then they're going to handle a Wake Forest team that they're definitely more talented, more talented than. And, and you know, three out of the five games in this little middle passage are at home. So I'm, I'm waiting to see what Mike Norvell is able to do. I, I genuinely think he's he's figured some things out. 
Don't get me wrong. I think this year in the recruiting space, he got back to Florida State football, right? They finished with a top 25 recruiting class. They looked better recruiting. Yes, they lost one of the best kids in the country. We all know that. That was, you know, we, we, we saw that happen. However, what he was able to do is he was able to still bring in a pretty solid class for them. Um, more importantly as well, he was able to bring in nine out of his, uh, you know, 17 or, or excuse me, 20 uh, kids that he brought in, seven of them from the state of Florida. So obviously he's getting back to recruiting in state. That's a good thing. Still brought in the top 15 uh, transfer class as well. So definitely a, a, a coach that sees that he needs as much depth as he could possibly get. And that's never a bad thing. It's never a bad thing. So I think he's starting to move in the right direction. I just don't think this is the year where, you know, everything comes together for Florida State and they win, you know, eight, nine games. And, you know, Florida State fans are, you know, uh, you know, sing, uh, them and King Osceola are having a really good time. I just don't think it's that. I'll just be perfectly honest with you. I think this is going to be another year of a struggle. Um, but if they can show competitiveness and progression in some ways, then obviously I think Norvell holds on to his job. I think a lot of people are coming into this year thinking if Norvell has another one of those stink years, he might be gone. Uh, but I think at the very least he's showing progression. And that's something that Florida State fans haven't been able to say for a little while now uh, when they were under Taggart and now under Norvell. So I'm going to say they go under. I think they make a bowl game, but I think they just get to six wins by the hair on the chin. I, I definitely do. I, it, it might come down to them beating Florida for them to get back to a bowl, to get to a bowl game. Uh, but that would be progression for them. That that would be a genuine progression for Florida State. Um, that game against you know Florida and that game against LSU for me are, are hugely indicative of what their seasons may look like. Obviously, if they lose to LSU early on, then this season could get really ugly. And if they're not able to beat Florida at the end of the year, they might not make a bowl game. So I, I got them going under, and, and that's how I feel when it comes to uh, the Seminoles. All right, let's go to number 38, Michigan State. Michigan State put together one of the most impressive turnarounds of college football last season, climbing as high as number five in the polls and winning the Peach Bowl to cap an 11-2 and campaign in Mel Tucker's second season there. Uh, DK has got their win total at 7.5. We have them at 7-5, and five, so we are under the 7.5. Uh, Nick, the 2021 season was special. For Michigan State, however, the Spartans ranked 41st in team performance, somehow behind Nebraska. Are we too low on Michigan State, or will the Spartans uh, come back to the middle of the pack in the Big Ten, where they used to be? Uh, Michigan State is, you know, you mentioned Nebraska. They actually, in those underlying numbers, how we calculate team performance, it's uh, a, a lot of it are those, you know, quote unquote, important stats, what I call important stats in our team profiles. Um, but things like, you know, net yards per play, and that's with uh, FBS opponents only and filtered for garbage time, uh, net points per drive, net yards per pass attempt, net success rate, EPA margin or, or PPA, because we use uh, college football data. Uh, dot coms uh, PPA numbers there. So, you know, it, it's not just yards and points and, and things like that. We try to dig a little deeper and, and use numbers that hopefully do a little bit better job of capturing the true performance on the field. Uh, and Michigan state was a team that, you know, kind of the polar opposite of Nebraska. Um, those numbers didn't always uh, quite line up with the wins and losses, but Michigan state was able to, you know, do what they had to do to get 
the win more often than not did did it 11 times whereas nebraska was uh able to do just enough sometimes including that overtime loss to michigan state um to where they you know weren't able to get it done weren't actually able uh to to put the w uh in, in that column so Michigan State is a team that our numbers never really fully warmed up to last year. Like I, I feel, I feel actually like we, uh, because 2020 wasn't great, right? I, I actually do have a memory of in the preseason we weren't as high on uh, Michigan State like we were with Oklahoma State, but we were, I think, higher than we expected for a team that was two and six or whatever it was uh, the previous year didn't expect 11 wins by any stretch. And that's partly why they Michigan state never really climbed in our rankings that high. I mean, they were, they were, you mentioned top five. Uh, I believe that was the playoff rankings at, at one point. Uh, certainly they were top 10 and, you know, the AP poll at, at times, but uh, they finished last year after beating ACC champion Pitt in uh, the Peach Bowl, and it was a shorthanded pit team, yes, but uh, they finished in our power ratings 43rd. So even though we are uh, probably pretty low uh, on Michigan State compared to a lot of folks, um, they have taken a little bit of a step forward uh, in our power rating uh, projections this year. So they are, Michigan State is a really, really intriguing team to me. I really do like Mel Tucker. I like a lot of the things that he has done. Um, I personally spent a little time living in in Lansing, Michigan, and and have uh, really warmed up to it and feel that the long-term potential there is maybe greater than what a lot of folks assume. Um, I think Mel Tucker can turn Michigan State into, you know, the the next big – Big Ten East team. I mean, I think Michigan State, uh, the sky is sort of the limit long term. This year, you know, obviously think that there's a chance that they could take a little bit of a step back, at least as far as wins and losses go. Um, there's certainly a lot to like experience wise. You know, Peyton Thorne um, was better than probably most anybody expected last year at quarterback. Um, they've got Jaden Reed, who's, uh, you know, all Big Ten caliber wide receiver, even though they lose uh, Kenneth Walker the third, second round draft pick, and Jalen Naylor, who was a six round draft pick, and Connor Hayward, you know, uh, former running back turn tight end H back, uh, who was also a six round draft pick. I feel like the offense is just as talented, if not more so, uh, than it was last year. You know, Jarek Broussard did a lot of really good things uh, at Colorado. Looks like he's probably going to get that first carry this year. If not, Jalen Berger, who was a former you know four-star player uh, when he signed with Wisconsin. A lot of upside. Heard some really good things about Davion Prim, uh, redshirt freshman running back in spring practice. Uh, you know, There's also Jordan Simmons and Elijah Collins, guys who've been in and out of the starting lineup at times in their careers. So I think Michigan State, uh, from a you know, skill set, standpoint 
is going to be just fine. I mean, the tight ends uh, are a strength. Daniel Barker transferred in from Illinois. Uh, Malik Carr is one of the more intriguing tight ends, a former four-star wide receiver recruit at Purdue who transferred in last year is playing tight end. Um, there's some untapped potential, I think, with guys like Trey Mosley, Monterio Foster, uh, or Montori Foster, I should say, um, you know, Keon Coleman, Terry Lockett. There's there's some guys there that could blossom into um, – impact players. And, and then Michigan state is uh, under Mel Tucker taken a, a big step forward in high school recruiting. Last year was a lot of transfers um, that helped sort of build that 11 win team this off season. There were a few uh, certainly, you know, I mentioned the running backs, but also uh, they're going to really rely on probably all three levels of the defense. Chris Bogle uh, as an edge defender, Aaron Brule, Jacoby Winman have a chance to start at linebacker. Amir Speed sounds like is starting at corner. Um, but uh, there's there's a, a building uh, of depth process with this freshman class that was, you know, top 25 level uh, high school class. So um, this team did a, a lot of good things last year, was able to do enough to win 11 games uh certainly you know luck is not necessarily the right word but they were 17 percent in the postgame win expectancy numbers against nebraska they were 30 percent in the postgame win expectancy uh numbers against uh, michigan so two games they probably should have lost uh both ended up as wins maybe those bounces don't quite um you know go their way this year but Who's to say they won't? So uh, Michigan State is, like I said, a team that I'm really, really intrigued with their long-term potential. I'm just not sure, you know, because the the recruiting numbers, even with the, the transfers, talent-wise, they haven't quite caught up to, um, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, even Penn State. Uh, in, in their division. So um, we see a lot of close projections, a lot of toss-up games against tough opponents like Wisconsin, Washington, even in the non-conference. Um, we see them as an underdog at Michigan, even though they beat Michigan last year. See them as an underdog at Penn State, even though they beat Penn State last year. So um, the schedule, a little bit tougher, uh, but also you know, maybe just a little natural regression as well. I, I would not be surprised if Michigan State plays at that same top 40 level, maybe even, you know, top 25 level. Maybe that's certainly possible. Uh, but that that actual number of wins drops a little bit to where, you know, like you said, we've got them uh, just barely getting the seven wins. I mean, 6.65 is actually that projected win total. So, uh, you know, seven and five would be just fine. Eight wins, something like that is certainly possible, I think. Um, but don't be surprised if, if, like I said, this team finishes very similarly in a lot of those post-game win expectancy or, or you know, or, or I should say uh, team performance numbers and those important stats. Uh, but the, the wins don't quite come like they did last year. Xavier, what are your thoughts on uh, Michigan State? Obviously, Walker leaving uh, a huge chunk there, but uh, Tucker has been outstanding in his stint, stint here so far. No, yeah, he's done an amazing job. I don't think anybody saw him doing maybe this good of a job after leaving Colorado. 
Uh, you know, even Georgia fans that had the best wishes for Mel Tucker didn't see him doing this uh, in, in his first couple of years at Michigan State. And I think it's been amazing. But, you know, I, I couldn't agree more with Nick. I think we see a little bit of a slide backwards. Um, they, they've, they've definitely lost a ton of talent. And that's first and foremost as to why, obviously, we think there's going to be a slide. But secondarily, you know, I, th- I think they surprised themselves in some respects last year. I don't think anybody expected Kenneth Walker to hit the ground running as much as he did last year. Um, Peyton Thorne played exceptionally well down the stretch of a lot of their big games. Um, you know, Peyton Thorne is a guy that I wouldn't call a great quarterback. I call him probably right around, you know, good. To, you know, he plays above average to good, you know, 90% of the time and then has some great moments. But at the end of that Michigan game, he was amazing. You know, he, he did exactly what was necessary for them to win, as well as obviously Kenneth Walker going supernova. But, you know, you look at, you know, their schedule this year, and I, I just there's, – there's, there's a part of their schedule that I'm just – where he will derail the entire year. And I think me and Nick both saw it early. You know, they play Ohio State, Wisconsin, and then at Michigan back-to-back-to-back weeks. Um, or, well, three or four weeks. They get a bye week right before Michigan. I feel like that could just derail the whole year. Um, they've got a non-conference schedule that's uh, that's a little bit more difficult than last year, that, like Nick said. But they get Minnesota at Maryland. Both of those games I expect them to win. But to, to play Ohio State, Mich- uh, Wisconsin, both at home, uh, you'll probably lose one of those two, if not both of those, and then have to go back to Michigan that they're going to be trying to get some get back after last year's loss in East Lansing. Um, that game is in, Ar- in Ann Arbor. I just feel like they're going to have to ride that wave. They're going to have to let themselves not get too low um, in that part of the year because if they're able to stay the course, then they've got a pretty easy route uh, to the last game of the season, Penn State being the last game of the year. But then they get after Michigan, at Illinois, Rutgers, Indiana. Those are three games that you should go ahead and just handle and win pretty handedly. Um, I think this is a, a team that goes over just slightly, like just slightly. This is a team that gets to eight wins. I mean, I think it's gonna they're going to have to grind to get to those eight wins because I just don't see them beating uh, Michigan this year. I don't see them beating Ohio State this year. I'm, I'm, I'm surprisingly high on Wisconsin, even though I can't stand Graham Mertz. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I, I don't think they beat Penn State at the end of the year. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that this is a Michigan State team that takes a bit of a regression. Uh, their receiving core last year kind of carried them at times, even when Payne Thorne wasn't throwing the greatest of balls. You know, uh, you know they, they were going and making great plays. He's going to have to be a, a heck of a lot better this year. Payton Thorne has to take some type of next step. Um, if he if this team is going to uh, you know replicate what they did last season, I don't see them make I don't see him excuse me making that step. So I think they take a bit of a regression there as well. Um, you know, but that defense is still going to be good. You know, the one thing about Mel Tucker is he recruits defense. He recruits defense really really well, and you can even see that in his transfers. Uh, he brings in Amir Speed from Georgia, one of the guys he recruited. Chris Bogle, who was a, originally at Florida, he was still a guy that Georgia recruited heavily. Uh, Aaron Brule that went to Mississippi State, same thing. Was a guy that was on Georgia's uh, recruiting list while he was there. So he's a guy who's going to bring in, you know, top uh, his guys to, to run that defense. So they're going to still have a, 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 a formidable defense. I just don't think that offense is going to be able to keep up in, in games like last year where Michigan jumps out to, you know, a two, 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 two touchdown lead. And then they are able to, to, to reel it back in. I just don't see that happening uh, with the, with the talent that's a lot that's left in this year. Uh, with all that being said, I still think that they go over their, their seven and a half win total because I still think that they're much better than that, you know, that middle tier of, of the Big Ten, uh, you know, your, your, your Minnesotas, your Marylands, um, even even your Indianas. I still think they're much better than those teams. So they should, they should handle business there, even if they don't end up beating any of the big guys like your Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State. 
All right, we go over to team number 37, App State. A 24-16 loss to Louisiana kept App State from reclaiming the Sun Belt Championship for the second straight season. After losing the Boca Raton Bowl, App State finished 10-4, and so a great record. Eight and a half is the DK number here. We've got them at eight and four, so we are under this eight and a half. But Nick, App State, you know, despite Louisiana and Coastal Carolina's recent success and the addition of Marshall and others, our projections still say that App State is a team to beat in the Sun Belt. Should uh, the Mountaineers truly be favored to win the conference title this season? I think it's gotten tougher. Uh, and I know they didn't get the job done last year uh, or two years in a row now, uh, I should say. But, uh, you know, getting uh, the additions to the Sun Belt, um, Marshall specifically being in the Sun Belt East, I, I think this year is uh, pretty tricky. They do have to go to Marshall the week after they have to go to Coastal Carolina on a Thursday. Um, you know, playing Georgia State, who we discussed uh, a week or so ago, that's going to be tough, even having that game at home. And then, you know, Troy, James Madison. I mean, there, there's, there are some talented teams in the Sun Belt. And I think even though uh, Coastal Carolina with its defensive turnover and, and Louisiana with its uh, head coaching turnover and, and a lot of uh, uh, production lost, um, the, the conference as a whole has taken a pretty big step forward over the last few years. And so App State, who kind of ran things for a while, I mean, it was like a, what, a five-year stretch of, of conference titles, um, or at least four, uh, you know, they they have their hands full now. And so I do think that, you know, the obviously the way the numbers work out, we have reason to believe that, that App State should be um, on a neutral field, the favorite in the Sun Belt. Uh, but, you know, two of their toughest division games are back to back and both on the road. That's that's going to be difficult. They also play a couple of power five opponents to kick off the season. North Carolina, who though we do have App State as a slight favorite because that game is at home. Um, you know, we, we uh, it's going to be going to be difficult. Uh, a trip to Texas A&M going to be difficult. So um, if they're able to navigate those two games injury free. If they're you know one and one, I think is is uh, a big plus. Even if they're zero and two, not the end of the world. Every other game on the schedule is winnable, and they do have oddly enough to to counter those two Power Five opponents, uh, two FCS opponents. So they you know the the road outside of those top three uh, division rivals shouldn't be too terribly difficult, um, or at least they you know. Could have some breathers there, a couple of FCS opponents in a in a bye week, um, but there's there's going to be uh, a, a lot of uh, pretty even matchups, talent wise, and and some tricky um, you know opponents to face, especially those three on the road, uh, those two on the road, I should say, and and three of their final four games being on the road, with the last being that rivalry game against Georgia Southern, who you know our expectations aren't super high, but um, there's, there's, I think an opportunity there, uh, and, and certainly a game that, that Georgia Southern is probably going to be up for. So, uh, they're, 
is a lot coming back, even though App State is middle of the pack in returning production, 71st overall, 67th on offense, 86th on defense. They bring back their starting quarterback. Chase Bryce has been, you know, a little bit up and down, but I, I feel like at times last year especially really showed uh, some improvement throwing down the field, made some big plays through the air. Problem is basically all of his – uh, receiving core, at least the the main weapons at wide receiver, uh, are gone. The running game should be pretty good. Cameron Peoples, Nate Noel, both of those guys have been all conference caliber running backs. It's a deep group. Dietrich Harrington is back uh, for his final year. Jamar Smith, transfer from Notre Dame last year, is back, and they also added Imani Marshall, transfer from Wake Forest. So you know, there's there's one running back after the other. Uh, should be able to, you know, hand off and and perform quite well, especially with an offensive line that, you know, brings back four starters uh, from a top twenty-five unit as as far as our performance ratings go. They do have to replace Bear Hunter, who you know worked his way uh, into becoming a max-rated player, hundred-rated player. But the other four are back: Cooper Hodges, All-Conference performer, uh, and, and four of those guys have you know 16 starts or more. So it's a pretty experienced unit, and, and you would think um, should be you know able to, to clear some lanes as long as they stay healthy for that running game and and you know help give uh, Chase Bryce a, a chance to um, you know uh, break in the the set of new. Uh, receivers that, that he'll be working with. Christian Wells looks like the, the early favorite to be that go-to guy, and, and he did break out a couple of times last year. But um, will you know, Christian Horn, Deshaun Davis, a couple of transfers, Tyler Page and, and Caden Robinson, will, will those guys step up and, and help replace some of the production of uh, Corey Sunner, Thomas Hennigan, Malik Williams, um, uh, Jalen Virgil, those type guys. So a um, little bit of a question there, but App State has a really solid track record defensively, was a top 20 unit last year in team performance, top 30, both against the run and the pass. They do have to replace some you know, really productive and, and talented guys, including a fifth round draft pick, uh, linebacker DeMarco Jackson, Sean Jolly signed with the Cleveland Browns, uh, Demetrius Taylor, incredibly productive defensive end signed with uh, the Detroit Lions. So those are going to be big holes, but, um, you know, Trey Cobb was another all-conference performer at linebacker. Nick Hampton probably should have been. I mean, 23 production points last year, 100-rated player, uh, incredibly, incredibly productive. You know, that linebacker unit might not be uh, top, 15 in the nation anymore, but but it's certainly a top 40 uh, unit. Stephen Jones is back after an all-conference year at corner. Um, not sure yet who's going to line up across from him, but there's a lot of depth at safety. Um, there are you know some intriguing newcomers as well. One transfer, Zion Keith coming in. Um, be interesting to see. Uh, you know he played over 500 snaps and, and had 10 career. Uh, starts at Wake Forest. So how will that play out? What role will he have? Will they be able to utilize guys like Ryan Huff, Ross, uh, excuse me, Nick Ross, Ronald Clark, um, all at the same time, you know, that that group of safeties. Somebody going to move over to play corner uh, opposite Jones. Be interesting to see. So it's a more difficult path for App State this year, I think. 
Um, but they certainly will be in the mix. Every game in conference play, especially, is winnable. Ten wins is possible. Um, the eight and a half for us seems like just a, a bit too much, even though they are favored in nine games. The stats model loves them, has them favored in ten games. Um, but just so many of those close calls, or you know, a couple of uh, being underdogs to Marshall and uh, Coastal Carolina on the road. The, the numbers just don't quite add up. We think they'll trip up just enough uh, to fall short of the eight and a half, but it wouldn't shock me at all if App State is is sort of the last team standing there in the Sun Belt. Xavier, your thoughts on App State this year? Always a talented team. Right. Uh, look, looks a little tougher road this year. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with it. This is a team that should be atop the Sun Belt like they typically are. Um, you know, I feel like they're going to be like, uh, funny enough, we've talked about, you know, other teams in previous episodes that have to play them that are new into the conference. Marshall and I think both James Madison um, have to play them this year. And I, I feel sorry for both those teams. You know, that is, this is kind of like, you know, when, when somebody says, I'm going to go get my big brother to fight you now. And it's, and it's App State coming out the door. Uh, you know, because that's that's what they've been in the in, in the Sun Belt. You know, in, in my lifetime and in, in previously, they've kind of just been that steady ship. That even in a bad year, they they win you know nine games, right? You know, they they've just continued to be this model of consistency. My only downside to them this year is they have a daunting non-conference schedule. Uh, I still think I, I they might be favorites going against North Carolina this year. I wouldn't be surprised personally. They've had they a favorite. Yeah, you know, you know, if that's if that's a game that Vegas doesn't have them favored, I might put some money on that one because they've had a history of beating North Carolina. Uh, you know, they they've been quote unquote state champions um, at least within the last three years, um, beating North Carolina and South Carolina in the same year. Uh, having to go to Texas A&M obviously is going to be a hard game. Uh, Troy early on is going to be pretty difficult, and, and the, that's my only thing about their schedule is that they don't really get uh, quote unquote break at all. You know, they go from you know, North Carolina, Texas A&M, straight to Troy. We talked about how good Troy's defense is going to be. Uh, then after that, you get James Madison. Then, you know, you get the Citadel and Texas State, but then you start off right after your bye week and you get Georgia State and Coastal Carolina in your next two out of your next three games. So I, I just feel like if they do find any struggle, it's going to be because, you know, that they, they just drop one or two that they're not supposed to. Uh, maybe looking ahead, maybe, you know, and, and looking past a couple of teams, they just drop a couple. Um, outside of that, I don't see any – and I, and I mean this in the best way possible. I don't see anybody in the Sun Belt this year that talent-wise matches them. Uh, Louisiana last year was their direct rifle. They they were the team that was looking App State eye-to-eye um, eye eye and was the team that obviously ended up beating them. Even with as much talent as Coastal has had and as much win, winning as they've been able to do, they, have, they themselves cannot even get over the hump that is App State. Um, so I, I think that at this current moment, App State should walk away with the Sun Belt, to be perfectly honest with you. I hate to say that as a Georgia State alumni, uh, but they should be able to to compete at a high level. Uh, the other the other great thing for them uh, is that the only like genuine tough game I think that they have in within the Sun Belt going to, is going to Coastal. They do have it on the road. Outside of that, the the games that could be trap games they have at home. Georgia State is at home. Troy is at home. Uh, you know, uh, you do get James Madison as well at home. Uh, now they do have to play Coastal and Marshall in back-to-back weeks. That might be a little that, that that might be you know where where you may see them drop one. But outside of that, I just don't see it from the from from the Sun Belt side of the of things. And on top of that, going against Georgia State, who like I said, I have as one of the favorites in the Sun Belt. They get them after a bye week, so they get another a whole week to prepare for them as well as having them at home. Uh, App State, 
uh, underwhelmed a little bit recruiting wise last year. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, you know they finished 95th overall. This is a team that typically sits right above, right in the 70s. Uh, you know the, the, the mid to low 70s uh, typically brings in a, a, at least a top 75 class. This year, this past year, not so much. You know, brought in a 95th ranked overall class. They brought in a 112th ranked transfer class. Um, and sometimes that just means that you like the guys that you have. You know that this has been a team that has kind of that probably is a little that uh, is pissed. A little bit. They they feel hard done by. You know, this is a team that has fallen short of the Sun Belt Championship back to back seasons uh, by way of losing to one to Louisiana, and they probably feel like you know this is their year to get to, to get some get back um, and to get themselves back to where they feel like they belong, which is the top of the Sun Belt. I think they do that. I think they are able to do that pretty comfortably. And I've got them going over eight and a half. You know, and I, like I said, I'm pretty bullish on the App State. They kind of continue to roll like this. It's going to take a really poor season from App State in the near future. For me to feel like all of a sudden something's going to change. All right, let's go over to the last team for today's show, number thirty-six, Minnesota, the Gophers. Uh, they suffered one of the most embarrassing losses last year because I bet on it. They lost to Bowling Green fourteen to ten, but they still posted a nine and four record that included a win over rival Wisconsin and a bowl victory versus West Virginia. Seven and a half is their DK win total. We have them at eight and four. So we're actually over the win total uh, for the Gophers. Uh, Nick, Minnesota showed remarkable improvement on defense last year, both the injuries that hit their running backs last season, eight wins was seemingly remarkable uh, with Mo Ibrahim and Trey Potts healthy. Is this a Big Ten West title contender in Minnesota? I think it could be. I, I kind of I didn't chime in when uh, Xavier said that he thought Michigan State was way better than than teams like Minnesota because I was like, well, we'll we'll be talking about Minnesota here in a little bit, which means they're actually at least the way we calculate it, uh, the better of the two teams uh, right now. So it's it's possible. I mean that that loss to Bowling Green was just. Uh, really inexplicable. I mean, they were like 34 point favorites or, or something. Um, but Minnesota is kind of, or at least last year, you know, they were a grinded out type team, even with the injuries to guys like Ibrahim, who only played the one game, Trey Potts, who midseason uh, kind of had a, a you know, scary uh, medical issue that that I don't know if we ever really got clarity on what it was. Uh, Bryce Williams also, you know, went down. All of those guys were productive, but uh, were injured. And, you know, Kai Thomas ended up leading the team in rushing. He's since transferred to Kansas. So, um, you know, that that's uh, maybe the, the group's not quite as deep this year as it was last year. Maybe they won't maybe be able to, um, you know, overcome a, a similar rash, but hopefully they won't have to, you know, would love to see Mohamed Ibrahim at, at full strength again, uh, coming off of a, an Achilles t- uh, tear is, uh, you know, you always wonder that that seems to me to be one that, that guys don't bounce back from quite as quickly or, or, you know, quite back to the, the same level of, uh, strength and speed and, and things like that is is what they might have shown before. Um, but, you know, like I said, that, that Bowling Green loss, in part, Minnesota was that grind it sort of team that, that kind of let uh, opponents, you know, they kept the game close because they weren't getting a whole lot of big plays and, and you know, 
quick scoring drives and, and things like that to sort of blow teams out and bit them again late in the year in the loss to Illinois, 14 to six, you know, just you, you don't give yourself very much um, margin for error sometimes, sort of the way that they were uh, playing offensively. That said, when you have a team that may or may not, you know, be as talented, is, Mich- uh, is, is Minnesota as talented as Michigan State? You know, again, not the way we calculate things. Uh, overall roster strength-wise, Minnesota's 54th. Uh, offensively, you know, the stronger of the two units talent-wise, 39th nationally. Defensively, 78th. So, you know, Minnesota doesn't necessarily stack up player-for-player uh, for player position uh, for position like Michigan State does, but um, this is an area where the way they play on the field, you know, sometimes it can help overcome some of those talent disadvantages. Last year, the defense really, really stepped up, like you said, one of the most improved units in college football on either side of the ball. I mean, top 15 uh, in every category, 14th in, in overall defense and team performance, 13th against the pass, 15th against the run. You know, that unit has to replace uh, some really, really talented players like Boye Mafe, fourth round, or excuse me, second round pick. Uh, another starting defensive line, Isizi Otomuo, uh, was a fifth round pick. You know, three other guys on that unit signed as undrafted free agents. That's going to be a little bit of a, a concern. Will they, you know, see a, a step back? Certainly possible. They're hoping some incoming transfers like Darnell Jeffries and, and Lorenzo Sergis. Uh, Kyler Ball, you know, may help plug some of those holes, especially up front. Um, but, you know, offensively, again, that style of play, I think, is going to keep Minnesota in some of these games that uh, we have them projected as as underdogs. You know, pretty easy non-conference schedule. They should be 3-0 and against New Mexico State, Western Illinois, and Colorado. Uh, that trip to Michigan State to open Big Ten play is going to be tough, and we do have Michigan State as a favorite in that game. But with a new look offensive line and and with that talent, uh, hopefully back and healthy in the running back room, you know maybe Minnesota is able to to say, hey, we're going to slow things down. We're going to keep this thing close. Michigan State, you might have a talent edge. You might be uh, you know at home and, and the home favorite. But maybe that's a game that instead of an ugly 14-10 loss, you know, I could I could see an ugly 14-10 win or 24-21, something like that. Uh, you know, maybe lull them to sleep a little bit and, and hit a big play, Tanner Morgan to Chris Altman Bell, something like that. We've seen Tanner Morgan put up some big yards per pass attempt numbers uh, a few years ago. I haven't seen it recently necessarily, but it's still there. Um, and especially when the running game is is working. I think the potential is there for that. But, uh, you know, against division opponents like Purdue, Illinois, Nebraska, even Northwestern, Iowa, they've kind of had Wisconsin's number a little bit, beat them last year. But um, Minnesota's not going to be at a big, big talent disadvantage in any of those games. It's really just the Michigan State and even Penn State, both of whom I think are, are beatable, even if we do have Minnesota as an underdog. You know, this schedule sets up, decently well um you know don't have to play ohio state that's the biggest piece of the puzzle um but being in the west you know that's that's part of it too they've got as good of you know 
or at least very similar uh, talent profiles to a lot of their their biggest rivals. And their style of play, I think, is, is going to keep things close and give them a chance to win. It obviously doesn't always work out. Uh, sometimes it even you know bites them in, in games they shouldn't lose. Uh, but it also gives them a chance sometimes in, in games that maybe they shouldn't win. So um, Minnesota is, I think, definitely going to be in the mix. And um, it's a little surprising that we're on the over, given you know the talent numbers. Don't necessarily love Minnesota. But the schedule sets up really, really well. Favored in eight games. The stats model has them favored in eight games. Even the talent edge. I mentioned talent numbers aren't you know jumping off the page, but they're they're favored in seven uh, in those talent edge uh, projections. So I think it's certainly possible they get back to the eight nine win level. The ceiling is is you know probably not super high. This probably isn't if they're able to find a way to win the division probably not going to give Ohio State or, or Michigan too many issues in the Big Ten championship game. But, you know, then again, maybe they're able to, to slow things down, make it ugly, and, and give themselves a chance in the fourth quarter. They're kind of an annoying team in that way. Uh, but sometimes they're a tough team to put away and um, certainly one that, you know, has won a lot of ball games uh, the last few years and certainly could again in, in 2022. Xavier, what are your thoughts on Minnesota? Obviously, uh, it seems like you don't think they should be ranked this high, huh? I mean, just ever so slightly, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like there's a there's a lot of unknown with Minnesota that's helping them a little bit. Um, I think that obviously when you lose as talented of a player as Ibrahim at the beginning of last year, this was you know it kind of tainted the rest of the season for them, at least in the eyes of a lot of people. Uh, even though you know when, when you look at how they performed last year, it wasn't bad. It, it wasn't it wasn't complete. You know they didn't fall off the face of a cliff last year with with, with losing Ibrahim at, at any point, right? Uh, but I, I still think that this is a team that is a tier down for Michigan State. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, when, when they play a game, when they play a team like the Nebraska, when they play a team, you know, like, like in Indiana, in my opinion, is closer to a toss up than it is for Michigan State. Uh, so that's why I have them like that. I, I think we'll, we'll see very early on. Obviously, they have to go to East Lansing early in the year. Um, and that game will obviously tell me, you, you know, a lot of Minnesota fans are going to tell me to shut up or I'm going to sound right. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's, that's going to be great. Uh, you know, I love that kind of Twitter interaction. Uh, then they get, you know, they play Purdue um, right after Michigan State. So, you know, hopefully there's no lull there. Obviously, you know, Purdue's a team that likes to, you know, it's kind of kind of sneaky. But they'll, they'll, come, they'll come up on you if they if you don't, you know, give them the proper respect. Uh, the, really the, what this team is, and personally, if, they, if they're able to actually play to, you know, the, the standards that I think Nick, you know, has them at and obviously the, 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 the numbers say so. They are what Iowa is if Iowa could throw the football offensively. Uh, they're a team that likes to ground, you know, they grind it out on the on the ground. They like to run the ball a ton, but they do have the quarterback play necessary to throw the football around the yard if need be. Uh, you know, that was the one thing Iowa just didn't have. You know, they, they, if, they, if you went up 10 points on Iowa, it was very tough for them to, to muster up, you know, seven of that 10 points, let alone, you know, all 10 plus. Uh, to come back and win those games. On the flip side of that, Minnesota, when they're able to get it going on the ground, they're they're a very tough team to stop. Uh, we saw in the game first game of the year. You know, if Ibrahim doesn't get hurt against Ohio State, who knows what that game looks like? Uh, you know, after that injury, their offense really sputtered, and Ohio State was able to pull away. But up until that point, it, it was you know, if I'm mistaken, it was a tie ball game when he gets hurt. If not, you know, that they were even possibly in the lead. Uh, so I, you know, you look at their non-conference much easier than last year's start. You know, obviously they don't start with Ohio State. That helps. Um, you know, I, I think that the other piece to this is they don't get you know 
Michigan, nor Ohio State, which is a huge bonus. Uh, the the real question for me, for them to reach the you know the, the heights that you know you know Nick maybe has for them and the numbers suggest they might be able to do, is that last two games of the year. Will they be able to beat Iowa and at Wisconsin in back-to-back games? That that is kind of a barometer to, to 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 the heights that they may be able to reach this year. Obviously, that's late in the year, and you know their their season might already be you know you know the what their what their season is might already be written. But that's still a very important part of the year, especially with them having seven and a half wins. They're going to have to win one of those two games at the end of the year, in my opinion, to, to get over that seven and a half win total, um, or possibly get to eight or you know get to that ninth win uh, possibility as well. So. I like Minnesota. I think there's a little bit of an unknown here that's a, that's helping them out personally uh, because I think we, we we saw what Ibrahim was able to do and what he's been able to do with Minnesota, and we expect that guy to be the guy that ends up being uh, their starting running back next season. Um, if they stumble out of the blocks at all, and and that's you know whether they if they lose to Michigan State and Purdue in back-to-back matchups, this season could get very ugly for Minnesota. Um, I don't see that happening. I'm still gonna go with the over with them. Uh, I, I think that they're able to get to eight wins. Uh, I say that very, I say that begrudgingly uh, because I just don't see where they're able to lose more than four games. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, you know, just I just don't think they got they got the they did get the rub of the green when you look at their schedule, um, unless they fall to a Nebraska on the road or like I said, they slip up against Purdue after maybe losing to Michigan State and maybe that's a situation where they just lose back to back games and they're reeling a little bit before a much needed bye week. All right. Well, look, that flew by compared to the last show uh, of four and a half hours, of course. So that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, we'll be back with you next week. Uh, I want to say, of course, safe travels to our guy, Nick, who will be uh, going to the Fantasy Football Expo this weekend, of course. And remember, you can find him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge, Xavier at Xavier underscore Trish, R-I-C-H-E. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.